Episode 14 of Miniatures Monthly. It is some point in April by now. My name is Chris Thurston, and as ever, I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. We're back. We're back. A little bit delayed. This yeah. Time. Uh, but, God, we've got so much stuff to talk about. Oh my God. There's so much more harmonies. So, Ooh. there's, uh, we're going to launch straight into a new section, thick with news, because, so Adepticon Cap happened, and, uh, mm. Games Workshop apparently took the occasion of Adepticon to just, unleash just dump it every bit of imaginable warhammer news and so i I think partly because of the cancellation of the aos open day yeah we ended up in a in a a crazy kind of news snowball and also we've both had very busy kind of miniatures months in 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 independently roaming ways yeah so um a packed episode and hopefully hopefully we'll be able to return to kind of our regular last tuesday of the month schedule this month indeed um but yeah um, no promises and apologies again for the delay. We should jump straight into it. And I've, I've tried to approximately order our news mm. so that we can kind of deal with subjects as they come up. And actually, for the first time, there's so much that's been announced that I'm cutting whole swathes <laughs> of things. We'll come back to it, probably. Yeah. So there's some sort of 40k rumor stuff that we won't touch on, mm. but we'll see. But I wanted to jump into 40k straight away because uh there's probably less to cover. Mm. But I did want to talk about something I almost forgotten had been announced, which is the new version of Kill Team. Oh, yeah. So uh, if you're unaware, Kill Team was is sort of basically skirmish, AOS skirmish, but for 40k, small, you know, units moving independently. Hmm. Uh, basically, the territory that is currently catered for by Necromunda and prior to Necromunda by Shadow War Armageddon, which came out a year ago and has been... Basically completely forgotten. <laughs> Obliterated by uh, Eighth edition. very similar things that have come out since as well. Yeah. Well, but And so Kill Team has traditionally been a supplement for 40k that adapts the whatever existing edition rules for skirmish play. New Kill Team is, by all accounts, a completely standalone organized play competitive game. Yeah. Nuts. With custom dice and, and all those sorts of things. But using existing 40k models, so not like Shadespire in that regard. Right. So I'm kind of imagining a, a middle ground between Shadespire and traditional Warhammer. That's really interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. I like it. Any excuse to convert and paint up approximately 10 to 15 models of one of 40,000, I will take. Yeah, especially as I found myself becoming a 40k dabbler and an AOS devoted chaos person so yeah we're both maining aos but there's always time for side projects and yeah uh, any and kill team stuff like kill team is is just the sort of lure i need to buy a little box of uh, skitarii yeah you have a little box of skitarii i do yeah. <laughs> find out something to do with them loads of plans for them as well like how to convert them up i'm going to make some candles and do, go proper full blanche on it yeah it's gonna be good and always go full blanche always go full blanche especially in 40k and it's an opportunity to explore like a, a darker sort of painting style than I would normally use on uh, yeah. AOS stuff. I find that actually that because I, I love, I mean, I realized recently that like there's almost no faction in 40k. I don't like, yeah. like I really love the entire fiction, the entire range mm. um, where I haven't liked things. It's usually been a matter of digging deeper into that particular part of the faction until I fiction until I figure out something I do like. Mm. Um, I can definitely see myself becoming a 40k dabbler rather than a kind of, 
going all in. Well, maybe I will go all in as well. Who knows? Um, but you know what I mean? Like, cuts two years in the future and you've got like three titans. So <laughs> these are my children now. <laughs> my toddler, my <laughs> beautiful, <laughs> heavily armed sized. toddlers. <laughs> yeah. They are toddler sized. Toddlers, did we talk yeah. about this last year at Warhammer Fest? I think we did. I think we did. I mean, I, I went to Warhammer World recently. We'll get, get around to this, but you, you just, you go to the Forge World thing and you see all of the just child sized models they've made. It's like, it's almost like as soon as a miniature becomes the size of a toddler, it ceases to be a miniature in the same way. <laughs> Like you don't it's, see, it's really true. you stop seeing it in scale with other miniatures and start seeing it in scale with Humans. yourself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. At which point it becomes small again. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does totally make sense. Like there's a difference between a big miniature and a small person. Yeah, the Titan straddles. <laughs> like it's really true. And the uh, the 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 Eldar Titan is even taller than the Imperium Titans, and it's just like, oh, what a weird spindly kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah you're right it's a being model um <laughs> uh that they, they are not going to be relevant to to kill team um <laughs> i hope not 450 pounds for the torso <laughs> on that thing although uh we are getting bigger knights you see this yeah we're getting bigger and slightly smaller knights yeah so there's the armager warglaves yes. which are the mini knights mm. but then there's the new knight castellant yeah uh, not to be confused with the Knight Castellan, Lord Castellan. Lord Castellan from uh, the Stormcast Eternals, he's much smaller. Yeah, he's much smaller, has a dog. I don't, not have I don't believe that the, the, but yeah, um, so there is, yeah, I think, uh, Codex Imperial Knights is coming and that's going to mm. turn knights into more of a faction with more range, oh, which man. is very exciting. You're gonna buy a knight, Chris? Not yet. Not yet. And I'll tell you why. Mm. And it's because, uh, this is maybe news I wasn't expecting to talk about, but there's rumor that, do you, are you aware that the Adeptus Titanicus game has been kind of lost in production ether for a while? Uh, yeah, I remember them announcing it ages ago. Yeah, there's a rumor that, so Adeptus Titanicus is, is a super old Citadel kind of thing. I think it might be even the game that the Horus Heresy was invented for Mm-mm. in order to have an excuse for Imperium to fight Imperium. But it was basically, it's basically Battletech. It's, it's Warhammer Battletech. It's a mech combat game where the mechs are Titans and yeah. Knights. And, um, apparently I think Forge World were going to do a new version of it. And then they saw the potential for it to actually fit into the range of boxed games that GW properties. It was, it's being reworked in plastic. Oh, good. That is maybe a rumor for another time, but that's rumored to be one of the big second half of this year things Ooh. is, uh, mini nights. And I heard the theory. So the new big knight, the Castellan that they've announced, looks a lot like a Warlord Titan. Hmm. It looks like a very small Warlord Titan. Yeah. And there's a rumor that it might be the same CAD kit, like the same 3D file. Oh, it's, it's the Warlord Titan from Adeptus Titanicus, basically at the same scale as it would be an Adeptus Titanicus <laughs> in 40K. Oh, man. Where it is a knight. It's going to be huge. Is that makes, does that make sense? Does kind like, of make sense yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's true. It could just be nonsense, but like, um, I think that makes me kind of want to hold off to the second half of the year and see what happens. Yeah. Cause I'd be all like, I'm thinking about at the moment I'm working towards, I'm actually like, there are elements of my shame pile that I can see being finished mm. within the next six months. And yeah. that's very exciting. And, um, even sooner than that. And so a new game like Adeptus Titanicus could be one of the things that kind of, you know, moves me in a different direction. Yeah. But I would probably use that as my getting my knights out of my system rather than yeah, yeah. buying a night warden tomorrow. Though. Check with me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. How about you? Would you mean knight? Oh, I want to, I want to paint one knight. Yeah. I love the knight models. They're amazing. They're so good. They're so good. And I, I, they're, 
they're like, you know, the perfect size. I'd, I'd say, like the, the I'm not such a fan of the smaller ones. I'm not such a fan of the bigger ones. Not like the Titans are amazing, but just you know, uh, out of scope for me. But the the size and the bulk of a, a of an Imperial Knight is a perfect model. It's yeah, an absolutely amazing me. model. Love so one of the reasons I'm kind of excited about Adeptus Titanicus is everyone gets to do knights. It's not just like yep. I've shown up with my knight army. <laughs> you can't show up with your knight army. <laughs> yeah, so everyone does. Yeah, everyone. I mean, imagine having a little squad of. A little squad of knights. Yeah. That'd be so good. <sighs> dreams of the future. The other Warhammer Dreams of the Future 40k thing, and maybe this will probably move us off 40k for now, mm-hmm. is the fact that they announced Plastic Sisters as a battle for oh, next year. Le That's really cool, and I really hope they're new sculpts and not just like recast them at once. No, they're, 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 they're apparently a plastic range. Oh, like. yeah, that's good. I really hope that they keep uh, the organ tank artillery thing yeah that thing is the most 440,000 thing that exists in all the universe <laughs> so a really enthusiastic preacher and uh an organ in the background that plays songs that, uh, songs for the emperor but also occasionally shoots missiles <laughs> <laughs> it's yep. the best thing it's the best thing yeah like it's, it's 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 very interesting that they're doing this experiment of announcing it so early yeah yeah and yeah. then saying that they'll have a much more public production process that's really interesting because i've always uh, like i'm really really curious about what you know, lead times are on mold. I want to see the molds. Yeah. I want to see how the, the sausage is made, you know? I can understand the concern that, um, I think this is the perfect opportunity for it because I think there's a concern that you, the reason you wouldn't do this normally is people will be put off buying things in the present because mm. they'll want to wait. Right. But because the sisters of battle range is so out of date, <laughs> yeah. like there's not a lot for people to buy now. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's no, sure. almost no harm in, mm. yeah. in waiting a year. But yeah. yeah, that's, um, there's nothing more to say, but they haven't announced anything other than they're doing they're it. They're just doing it. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Which is rad. Uh, I, whenever they talk about their process, they it's really fascinating. So they did, um, Games Workshop did a series of, uh, interviews with, uh, the creators around the Dark Eldar release yeah. from about five, like five, six, seven years ago, something like that. Yeah. But that, that relaunch, the Drukari have just been relaunched again with the new codex. But in, in the last range, they had, like, they got the designers to really go into what they were thinking about with the armor and what they're thinking about with the lore. And the, the lore and the visuals are very interconnected in the way that Games Workshop produces miniatures and conceptualizes miniatures. And I'd love to see their thought process for a new Sisters of Battle range. That'd be really, really cool. Yeah. I think the new Custodes range gives it a lot of potential. Mm. Like there's, um, I think one of the 40k armies I'd like to do one day is more like an Imperial soup thing. And I appreciate that that's a very competitive thing, but I don't really think about those terms. Yeah, I just cool. kind of want a mixed army of the Imperium yeah. type deal with some knights and some custodies and some space marines. That's kind of what guard. I want as well. That, that's what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do with my Skitari. Yeah. The, the, the idea that I had that, you know, it's a, a place that's sort of surrounded by the warp a lot of the time and just yeah. fragments of the Imperium come through. And so you've got some assassins, you've got some sisters of battle, you've got some um, primaris because they, the, why not have everything, right? Yeah, <laughs> All yeah. the models are good. It's such a, like, you know, it's such a, like, the Imperium is such a kind of well-defined kind of thing that as soon as yeah. all of it is well-represented with modern models, it's going to be such a rewarding thing to... Isn't it? Yeah, super good. Dig into. Yeah, totally. Um, so that's, yeah, that's super exciting. But that is basically just the 40k stuff. Mm. If we wanted to talk about Age of Sigmar and Chainspire, well, there's a lot to talk about. There is. So... I thought we could talk, we could start with basically the most boring thing to mention briefly, mm-hmm. which is, uh, the Warhammer Legends thing that is happening, which is 
the return of a lot of old world metal minis mm. in the kind of made to order system. So they're promised a lot of stuff coming back. Yeah. Um, which is potentially very interesting. And also that will come with a new centralized rules database that will replace what were the compendium war scrolls, which were the kind of massive bundle PDFs that were released alongside the original Age of Sigmar starter set to give people rules to use with their Bretonians or whatever. Yeah. So this feels like a, uh, maybe in addition to something else we'll get on to talking about a comprehensive sort of pulling everything, all of AOS's kind of weird baggage forwards into the present. Um, I know there's more to say about that other than it's interesting that they've chosen this moment to kind of reaffirm support for older models. Yeah, that is interesting. And I wonder why, because like Compendium is, is interesting in a tournament context because uh, a lot of different places kind of, um, for tournament organizers, there's always the question of do you ban Compendium? Do you ban like old Bretonians turning up in because the wall scroll is really hard to get because yeah. the models aren't on sale and it's, you know, new, new players who've just come in for AOS can't be expected to know what the fuck the green knight is or something like that. Yeah. And it kind of, this seems to bring back those ranges to an extent. I mean, I can imagine them doing like a, a tomb Kings run and just bringing back, you know, some, some of those crazy, awesome monster sculpts. I guess because they're managing the new war scroll centrally through a kind of easily accessible database. Yeah. It's becomes reasonable. Mm. Again, just yeah. through that infrastructure. Yeah. I've definitely, um, we'll talk about the tournament later, but having that centralized database of war scrolls is something that AOS has over 40k. Uh, yeah. That is very, very good in a tournament context because you can just look up everyone else's war scrolls and check rules and stuff on the fly. Totally. Mm. Um, however, this does also link, I don't know if this was deliberate, but it does link to the conclusion of the Malign Portents campaign, mm. which is maybe another bit of news to bounce oh, off. Yeah. Um, so Dread Solstice, which was the kind of um, community led branching narrative came to an end mm. um did you see the ending tom i've not read the final bit shall i can i spoil yeah. you know to be able to talk about this we need to, to spoil it le, 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 right le. so what happened was so basically i think we uh, I, I as someone who writes branching narratives for stuff in another context is my video game narrative design stuff on my head hat on on my head hat on <laughs> um uh i know what it's like when your players pick all of the options that happen to lead to a freaky moon <laughs> and that's what happened with dread solstice yeah at every given opportunity the players picked the option that resulted in the freakiest moon from mm. the moon that ate secrets to the angry moon full of dinosaurs and I big red men yep. which was shot with a time cannon yeah and reset back into a point in time when the dinosaurs were still there <laughs> <laughs> which is the most <laughs> yeah. and then it just floated off to, resi- to resolve its business <laughs> moon out <laughs> yeah um to the moon that I think just made people die faster. Okay. Anyway, so the armies of order um, got to the point where they were about to siege N- Nagashizar, where Nagash was building whatever he's building. Mm. Um, I suspect we were never going to be able to stop Nagash, because I think what Nagash is doing is going to be essential for the next phase of yep. AOS. But what happened is really interesting, and I can see how this could have gone a bunch of different ways. So... Um, in response to all of the all of the armies of both order, destruction, and chaos kind of massing at his door, Nagash collapsed the desert of the realm of death itself, oh. and dropped all of those armies into his oubliette, which is like the it's the place where Nagash was um, recovering from being beaten up by Archaon all that time. Yeah, like it's his lowest underworld. Mm-hmm. It is the underworld of underworlds. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but then based on the decision that was made in the final week, um, the, all of those armies worked together, which is a thing. Well, across all the Grand Alliances. Yeah, across all the Grand Alliances to enact a mass jailbreak, <laughs> not just of themselves, but of loads of the souls that were there. Oh, man. So what happened was in the final moments of malign importance, and I think this is the thing that, you know, when they were saying that like the, um, the original Realm Gate Wars campaign ended with the cities of order being founded. I think this is, which then became the boxes for Firestorm. I think this is the thing. Mm. What happened was suddenly in, um, sort of Nagash's defenses were overwhelmed just by all of these armies fighting back. And, um, not only were they fighting back, but they were liberating souls who'd been trapped. Mm. Some of whom were souls that had died in the Realmgate Wars and been trapped there, who re- returned to life. And the world that was. And the world that was. <gasps> so loads of heroes have come back. Oh, man. So there's talk of, like, Carl Franz coming back. Yeah. And Gotrek and Felix and, like, all of these souls rushing back to life. But apparently what happened is loads of these went straight to Sigma. <laughs> so <laughs> right. there's a description of, yes. I think it's the Anvils of the Heldenhammer, who are the kind of death realm of death storm host with mm. the black armor basically as many of them were coming down as we're going back up like they just keep coming like just kind of like endlessly reinforced um to the point where well, nagash couldn't hold the line anymore and had to kind of just let all these souls go mm. so in addition to this warhammer legends thing which is going to bring back old models the story has just oh, yeah. evolved to the point where suddenly loads of old heroes from the world that was are back and starting new lives in in the mortal realms by the age of sigma which is super cool yeah um and i kind of want to incorporate that into we didn't play a game of aos this month but i i want to incorporate that into our story a little bit in that you know we've paused our skirmish campaign Hmm. but you've basically kicked my ass and eaten me with bees in every game we've played yeah i want to have our skirmish campaign have paused at the beginning of malign importance and maybe resume it or go straight to path to glory but with all of my corn having corn guys having been brought back to life as part of this soul <laughs> release as yeah. you know, so their death actually did happen <laughs> yeah. and then kind of move it on to the realm of death. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, Cause like, like my slaughter priest was eaten by bees. Like that's what happened. Yeah. And he's just been kind of broken out of the, hmm. and maybe use that as an excuse to bring my war queen into it. Like she broke them out. So that's her allegiance to corn. Cause yeah, she was, yeah, yeah summoning each demons to fight you now she's leading a corn war band which we'll get onto in a minute but like mm. because this is the party with whom she broke out of nagash's oubliette i think it's a really cool idea yeah it'd be interesting to think I mean, as you add to your stormcast as well how this might affect them as well yeah definitely that's super super interesting i need to read that i need to read that the sweet law it's good law there's also um a bunch of uh the other you know the most recent malign important stories which are still going um have introduced the other new faction that is heavily involved in the stealing of souls from Nagash. Yep. Revealed en masse at last this month. The Deepkin. I'd never. Deepkin. Battle turtle. Battle turtle. Flying sharks ridden by elves. Sometimes eels. Sometimes eels. An octopus helping a man write. Yeah. The best model. I love that model so much. It's so good. I might just buy one of them just to... Yeah. It looks like the the man writing is being held at knife point by an octopus. Yeah. I think he might be one of their named characters, and it's like the two of them. Yeah, an entirely new faction. A never-before-seen faction for Age of Sigma. They came from the deep. This is 
the, uh, we were talking last month about this, so the tech lists created them, but they went wrong um, because he accidentally made vampires. Yep. Don't accidentally make vampires. They need souls forever to keep, stay alive. Most of their children die. They need to keep eating souls to keep their, you know, basic people alive. Um, but a few of them are just like ancient heroes that just keep, keep on going. So it's, it's yeah. implied that a lot of the old sort of high up heroes are just hiding their deep kin now and hanging out and trying to survive in the deep. Yep. Um, they summon, so yeah, this is the aquatic elf faction. The models are incredible. Mm, like, them. yep. Genuinely, like, every old world Warhammer faction is coming back as extra as it is humanly <laughs> oh, yes. possible to be. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I really do like them. The, there's, I do feel like they are now with how ambitious they're getting with these sculpts, getting to the point where, like, I think they need to start considering, like, actual range of like magnetic carry cases for minis and things mm. rather than and selling magnets and stuff rather than even the crusade and skirmish cases and stuff because so the the eidolon of mathlan yeah the eidolons are amazing which is a Huge. which is their kind of big showcase miniature well yeah. in addition to the the war turtle the war turtle um uh is uh, a kind of elven sea god whose cape is made of a tidal wave yeah and his own and his base is like a little aquarium of mm. fish and octopuses and things and he is only connected to his base by a few sculpted drops of water yeah. Yeah. like gw at the moment are really moving away from flying stems they don't want you to have like a, a stick connecting mm. your model to its base to establish that it's flying they want you to be like if they could make it hover they would but yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but i can just imagine trying to transport that like i know that's the most boring thing to d- double down <laughs> on but i have this issue with the lord of change and it's like yeah yeah it's like it's a single drop of water basically connecting mm. a magic flying water elf to his aquarium it's amazing that the um the lightness of plastic sculpts the only reason that any of this can happen like the the yeah. that they've uh gw is so good at producing plastic stuff that lets them do this kind of anti-gravity models and it's getting more and more insane it's getting it's almost a relief when something just stands on the floor (laughs) yeah this thing is not good will not break uh but plastic glue is really good as well like i think there's something about plastic glue that it fuses basically yeah so you can do those like uh i was assembling my um uh griff chargers what they called Vanguard Paladors. Yeah. Uh, and they, like, they are attached to the base by the smallest sort of corner of a hoof. Toenail of a hoof. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's it. And, and I was like, there's no way this is ever going to happen. Uh, this, this is, this kit is insane and it is a hard kit to build, but damn, they, they it works. Like, the, the, the way plastic glue fuses means you can just sus- sustain a huge amount of mass at the top of the model and, yeah, and yeah. still stand up. And uh, the Eidoneth, uh, Eidolons are, particularly good example of that the the paint job on them that the heavy metal team has, has done is fucking sensational Incredible. as well yeah it's 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 such a cool different range as mm. well like such an interesting like i really like that they're doing this for elves like you know um and also in addition like that they are making them consistently interesting and different yeah and like I, yeah, one really nice thing is um from the cavalry and the battle line troops we've seen hmm. it seems like the standard kits have a mix of male and female models in mm. them which is when we were talking about last month with the Daughters of Cain, it's exactly what I wanted to see from them. Yeah, sure. Because I'm kind of willing to give them a bit of a pass on Witch Elves because it's an older sculpt they're building new models for. Mm. I'd love to see it replaced eventually, but, you know, like what I said, I think, last month was that the test was not that range. It was the next one. Yeah. And I think this is a move in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's really encouraging. And plus, I like the way they're doing Elves 
as complicating order as a grand alliance yeah so um you've got sigmar who's obviously on one side you've got the duarden who are obviously on one side and, and the elves are there to make things morally complicated now because mm. elves are super weird and they live in the gray areas between stuff the only thing that really i mean the i don't know a vampiric race of uh people who are kind of have fallen that they kind of had good intentions and they they know what they're doing is awful <laughs> that's kind of implied by what you know what i really like about it off. is it, it, it taps into the sort of um the kind of predatory aspect of like folklore when it comes to things like mermaids mm. like sirens oh, yeah, yeah. like the notion that like sea creatures will beckon you into the deep to drown you and steal your soul yeah. it's like an old school folkloric thing it's the sort of like it has that um you know, it's, it's, there are aspects of dark elves to them to some yep. extent, but it's, it's more like they're just a kind of predatory force. Mm. Um, there's a, they, the reason they have eels that can swim through the air is they summon like this kind of like choking mist wherever they go that kind of acts like the ocean. And there's a good malign, recent malign importance story where it's just people finding a village abandoned. It's, it's, it's more traditional high elves. It's swift hawk agents, which mm. is kind of a nice touch that they are like old high elves finding this village where all the people are gone. But it just reeks like the sea, mm. like, and it's deep inland, but this mist milk. has settled in and it's sort of flowing over things. Ether mist, because you just add ether to something. <laughs> That's how iOS works. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like that, I really like that idea that like it is scary. The sea is scary. Water as the element that they are representing is not, um, you know, it's not the cuddly one. It's mm. not the healing one. You know, it's, 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 it's the thing that drowns you and that kind of means you get eaten by a battle turtle. That's, you know, that's the other that's side. how it goes sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the uh, Age of Sigma universe has the best epitaphs of any universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poor Bob. <laughs> he was drowned and then eaten by a giant floating it's turtle. It's almost like one day they will get around to updating free guild and free peoples. Yes. And they will finally make the extremely extra version of people, <laughs> like humans. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I guess with Kyrie Acolytes, you've kind of seen that to some extent, mm. but like, if they ever get around to updating the empire, basically, mm. what does that look like? Oh yeah. Ruffs. But I almost like that. They're still just like r- sort of fucking Habsburg era, <laughs> just German dudes. <laughs> right. <It's> like, <laughs> like in well, this inexplicably increasingly nonsense universe. What happened, what happened to Bob? Man. Oh, he was, he was, he was <laughs> lured by a warrior. So the, 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 I don't know, Deepkin have a, a hero who has a big helmet. And there's a lure dangling off it. <laughs> and, uh, it makes, it draws people towards him so that he can eat their souls. That's what happened to Bob. Uh, yeah. We need, we need bigger tombstones in this universe, people. We can't get all of this on <laughs> the bloody stone. Just water. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's one word. <laughs> what happened to James? Ah, uh, water. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we did have fun with that when that was announced. But yeah, I mean, it's super exciting. So do you, as, as order man, is this tempting to you? I think it's, um, oh, I, I really like the models. I, I'm looking forward to seeing the rules. I would paint an idol on just to paint them. And I would, I would paint like, cause their heroes are really cool, especially. Yeah. Uh, I really like the hero models. Like the, you've got, um, dudes riding giant seahorses. Uh, they're really, really neat. Um, I can't see myself like collecting them for some reason. I don't even know why I wouldn't, but I think it's just, I've got too much on my plate at the moment. Yeah. Same. I've just, I've got a star Trek to do. I've got a load of Vanguard hunters. I feel like AOS rewards investment in a single faction in terms of the scope and the scale of what you can bring to bear. Yeah. In a way yeah, that maybe yeah. is preventing me from dabbling in the way that I'm talking about with 40k. Mm. I think maybe that's a direct consequence of the fact that the AOS universe feels so open. Mm. Like 40k feels like it is both vast, but it's also sort of 
um, it's not evolving, right? Like it doesn't move forward except that they say it, then they say it moves forward. Mm. Even though I know that Malign Portents and Dread Solstice and things was a bit of a marketing exercise, I kind of feel like I have a bit of an investment in chaos. Like I had a sense of what chaos was doing throughout that entire campaign. Yeah. And I liked the ending we got because it sort of benefits everybody equally. Like I can imagine all of these old chaos champions, their soul, actually mm. the chaos champion soul would go to, go to chaos, you know, chaos anyway. But you know what I mean? Like it, it's sort of like, um, I sort of feel like invested in building towards the point where I finally paint Archeon. Mm. Right. Um, so whereas with 40 K, because there's so much interesting stories happening everywhere, I want to dabble and be a little bit part of everything, but I don't feel like investing big in say Adeptus Mechanicus would result in me being able to kind of like own that faction. Yeah. To a meaningful extent. Yeah. I think it, it, the ally system does exist in iOS, but isn't quite built into it in the same way that it is yeah. in 40 K. So new edition 40 K particularly encourages you to, just make whatever army you want to make. And that isn't true of AOS really. Like, uh, getting 200 points to spend on Ideneth Deepkin. To be honest, like, uh, uh, 200 points of anything isn't going to do a huge amount. It's just about letting you paint a model that you want and, and yeah. build it. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 it feels like there's a much greater investment required to get into a new army in AOS than 40k. But also a reward for sticking with it, mm. I guess is the flip yeah. side of it. Like, I really, you know, I want to get to the point where you and I have, like, can sit down for like a day or even a weekend and play like, a 10,000. Oh yeah. Game, yeah. Right. It's one in the world. Get like, one of them mega yeah. tables. The f- like, or maybe even, you know, when we've, when we've sorted out the details, if we do our miniatures monthly meetup. Oh yeah. That could be the centerpiece of that. And that's something right, I'd yeah. really like to discuss and figure out how to make it happen. Like, you know, I want all of our different, ca- like I want my various chaos forces to cohere into one big army mm. and for your various order forces to cohere. Mm. And I think that'd be super cool because yeah, we have right. a little bit more ownership over that story. Yeah. Than yeah we ha- sure. would have over equivalent 40 K kind of thing. Yeah. So, but yeah, but I, I like Ideneth, I think I like one, I mean, Pip loves sea creatures more than anything. So I'm, you know, probably going to pick up a model for her to paint the octopus basically. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, also like if I ever do it, like they, they feel like some of this new stuff just feels like golden demon bait. It's oh, like, sure. like, yeah, yeah. like how many times you've seen, uh, both Mortarian and Magnus show up in mm-hmm. golden demon entries. Cause it's like, yep, that's just, if you want to paint something big and impressive, there you there go. You go. Yeah. I'd love to see the octopus dude win a golden demon. <laughs> That'd be so good. Just uh, convert him so he's got like a paintbrush in both hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, just, uh, oh, uh is, who won this year? Was it Nagash? No, it wasn't Nagash this year. I think it, it was Magnus. Uh, it was, uh, it was Magnus. Um, so next year it could be an octopus. Could be an octopus. Could be an octopus that wins. That's- so, um, yeah, so this, we're getting now into the kind of territory of what might be coming in next for Age of Sigma. Yeah, and this is also a reason why I wouldn't dive into an Ideneth Dipkin army. Right? Mm. So, and I want to kind of maybe lay out some ground, like some of the basics so we can start trying to piece things together. Yep. So, um, one of the other things that was heavily, so two of the sort of teaser videos were released at Adepticon. One was just a big purple moon model yep with the tease of a new magic system for age of sigma yeah uh that big purple moon looks a lot like a pokemon but we'll ignore that <laughs> <laughs> um, that model is hilarious it'll be that um that's put that in one box mm. okay mm. we also got um a teaser video for what was new death new death miniatures but was almost certainly a new black coach which yep. is a model that's been out of print for ages print, print for a long time at the same time, we also got two cards for new Shadespire Warbands. And as I mentioned last week, month, I'm a huge nerd. 
I have counted how many remaining cards there are in Shadespire. Mm-hmm. There are only two more warbands coming, and in fact, they're coming out next week. We may talk about them in a minute. Absolutely. Magor's Fiends and the Fast Riders. They're yeah. done. That's eight. That's uh, Shadespire set one finished. Mm-hmm. These new cards had a new set symbol on them, so they're not part of Shadespire. They're part of whatever Warhammer Underworlds thing comes next. Mm-hmm. They also had new faction symbols. One of them was basically uh, Nighthaunt, Malignants, like Ghost Undead. Yep. Basically. Looked a little bit like Night of Shrouds. Mm. The other was a new Stormcast symbol. Yep. Which was a lightning bolt piercing an anvil. Yes. Never before seen. Nope. Right. That's that's in column over there. Okay. Yep. Then, um, w- what else has happened? So, also, some German book covers leaked <laughs> around the same time. Um, which, uh, one is called, uh, and the important one is called, uh, Die Seelenkrieger, which is German for the Soul War, mm-hmm. and shows, uh, the Knight of Shrouds from Malign Importance fighting a Stormcast wizard, by all accounts. A unit of them. A unit of them. Stormcast with tall headdresses. Yeah. And staves. And at the top of each staff is the icon of an anvil being hit by lightning. Mm. So, we have uh, obviously a new Stormcast versus Death direction for the fiction. A new Stormcast chamber. Yep. Stormcast wizards. Seems that way. A new magic system. So I would say those two things are probably linked because I think it's really unlikely that a new magic system would arrive in the game and Stormcast not have access to it. Does the uh, does the moon mean a new magic system rather than a new unit or something? Or I think it means a new magic system, yeah. and the reason for that is I th- so I think they're not maybe not go back to like blast templates. Yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised if spells started to have physical effects. Right, because in the Nagash battle tome, they brought back uh, I think it's the moon of Zarius, which is um, I think what that purple moon is. Right, yeah, yeah. And in as it's currently written in the Nagash Legions of Nagash battle tome. You cast it, and at the moment it's quite an awkward system. It's like a projectile that moves in a straight line from the caster and hits every unit in a straight line from them. And at the moment, there's not really an elegant way of resolving that in AOS. Right. But if there was a model that moved uh, in the direction every see. turn, yeah, then that would suddenly Ooh, that's interesting. be a thing. The interesting thing about that model is that you could paint it up as any realm of you magic could. type. You could do a fire one, you could do a death one. Yeah, exactly. So, And I think because Stormcast is the poster faction for the system... I think them getting wizards around the same time as a new magic system would make complete sense. Mm. Um, and the, the other side to this is that um, there's been rumors for a while that Age of Sigmar is going to get a new starter box. Um, so, well, the new Shadespire cards heavily imply a new version of Shadespire probably in September, given that, you know, that's, you know, the second half of the year. Yeah. Um, with ghosts and new stormcast as their core set warbands mm. that would be my guess yeah. however i don't think it's a coincidence that the shades by one core set mirrors the age of sigma core set blood reavers versus stormcast mm. there's a huge amount of talk that a new age of sigma starter set may well arrive in the middle of the year in summer mm. with those two factions as it's contents and that this may be mean the arrival of age of sigma second edition Ooh, that's a lot to think about all at once it? but it 
it feel, and I appreciate that what I've just done is the equivalent of like, that like kind of mad conspiracy theory thing where all the strings are linked together <laughs> on, on a, on a board. But like, I, th- I think, and from conversations that I've had, I feel like that's what's on the cards. Like, yeah. I don't know to what extent that means a full second edition of the game. Yeah. I'm not sure it'll be a mega rules update because it, it feels like, um, the rules system is more of a, like a living system mm. than a kind of additional one additional is that a word I don't it is now so. uh but th- uh so we've just had forge bane which is a new starter box for Warhammer forty thousand. yeah and I, I imagine it'll be very similar to that where it's just well that was blight war right yeah so i would say this in favor of there being a rules update mm. i would su- i would submit as evidence the fact that starting with i think daughters of cain or maybe legions and agash whichever one came first the age of sigmar battle tomes stopped printing the four page rules in the back right that's actually prior to that they did yeah yeah um the new ones everything that's released this year hasn't had the rules in the back originally they do yeah that's true um so my suspicion so my my guess is a rules update but more like one of the less dramatic 40k edition changes where your war scrolls stay the same for the most part yeah um, but the something about the core rules changes, mm. which could be really yeah, interesting. That is interesting. Obviously, we've uh, we've thought thought in previous podcasts about how we would change AOS's rule set. So, yeah, uh, new magic was one of my big things. Like, that's one of the things I would, I would like to change most about the game was to have a more interactive magic phase. Mm. Uh, and if that happens, I'll be very excited. I do. I, I do like the AOS uh, rule set. I Me like. Too. I like the. Um, like double turns as a thing to to separate the game out from uh, one forty thousand. So hopefully, like it keeps the things that make AOS AOS. And so a rumor I heard, and I, I appreciate that I'm kind of hoovering out rumors from lots of different sources. So yeah. all of this stuff is the big big pinch of salt. And but I really like this idea. One of the rumors I heard was that Age of Sigmar will get a command point system huh. like forty k. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, the two rules that I I heard rumors of coming over from forty k were potentially a command point system. But instead of stratagems, command points would be used to tr- trigger command abilities, uh, which is really interesting. Cause right. so there's a, one of the issues and I, I particularly have encountered this while building uh, up my little sort of mini corn force is loads of the corn heroes have really interesting command abilities, but reason realistically because of the way the command, so command ability is an ability you can use in your hero phase. If that model is your general, so you have all this, all these rules that are already in the game, yeah. but you only ever use one of them yeah, because yeah. you pick one. And so you pick the best one, but actually there's stuff for corn, for example, like the, uh, I think it's the aspiring Deathbringer can do like giving a bonus attack to every corn unit within six inches of him. Mm. Like that stuff becomes super interesting. If it's something I can pay a point to trigger trading yeah, off against yeah. something else, huh. I totally take that because it's true for Kasinch as well. Like there's loads of, imagine it's true for Stormcast. There's loads of characters that you would never realistically pick as your general, for sure, but who, that stuff's already printed on the war scrolls. That's almost like a freebie. Yeah. Like if it just became accessible by a different means. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, I had a rumor that they're going to uh, replace uh, the kind of initiative system with a roll off for the first turn. Mm. Uh, so instead of like just doing a big one drop army and then guaranteeing that you're going to get it, choose the first turn that that will be a roll off, which is an interesting counter to just kind of uh, alpha strike armies. I think that's a, f- a really good. I, I would keep. I would keep. Idea, I would keep rolling off with every round. I'd keep the potential for the double turn. Yeah, yeah. But just so add it, make it random at the start. Agreed. I think, yeah, I yeah. think that's just a hundred percent good change. Because yeah. I don't think one drop does not mean much. No, like 
And it's, it's not a sufficient downside. No, no. Uh, and I think it, it discourages a certain type of list as well. And there's stuff like, especially like Caradron, the type of Caradron armies you see are just like big elf strike one drop and then it's over by turn two <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And it's kind of a shame because that's such a cool range and it's such a cool, you know, I, I actually bought the Caradron Overlord book this week. Um, to support, just because I wanted to double check a load of law for the right. library submission I was writing, uh, and also uh, got some vouchers for Easter, and it's uh, casual overalls are fucking awesome. They're really interesting, uh, a really good, interesting take on dwarves, an inversion of a lot of dwarf stereotypes, uh, and uh, some fantastic artwork in that book. Uh, but the only context where you see them is just as like ridiculous that they're not on the board then suddenly they're all on the board and then either they win or they don't that's kind of how they play out in the rules so it feels like that discouraging that type of army and having you know uh, having armies where there are airships that are on the board that stay there and kind of keep on doing stuff and actually make it to turn five like that seems like a good thing yeah totally i think i would i would the other rumor i heard was uh, a 40k combat system change so that units that charged activate for everything else oh yeah that's interesting. I think the I go, I pick one, you pick one aspect of Age of Sigma is, um, really good. Mm. I think that that's the area where I'd like to see the game kind of rebalanced and repointed appropriately. Like, I want to keep a lot of the things that make AOS AOS. I, for me, it makes sense in a mind's eye way that things that charge attack first, and that's your advantage for charging. Um, I would like to see, I think what I would like to see is I like to see ranged units made quite a lot cheaper, mm-hmm. but for them to lose the ability to shoot into or out of combat. Right. So it suddenly gets a lot cheaper to, to use them, but except for the most powerful ones or whatever, like Skyfires or something. Yeah. But um, therefore for sort of charging to be an equal threat, like, I feel like range, you know, at the moment shooting is such a defining aspect of an army and of the game and it makes so many things so good hmm. that I'd like to see it toned down and I'd like to see fighting toned up. But I also want to see interactivity kind of increased. Yeah. Ideally. And I would worry that charging units fighting first might make it feel less interactive because some armies like Corn, for example, will just all charge in one big go and the game's right. basically over. Hmm without the interesting for the potential for interesting counter interactions, unless they introduce something like the heroic intervention rules from 40 K where heroes can interrupt Mm. the system. Yeah. But that's very speculative. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, shooting is balanced in the game because of the points. Yes. But I guess, um, it's more a feel. I think it's not a question of whether it's balanced. It's like, I'd like it rebalanced by making like, make judicators cheaper, Hmm. but mean that they can be tied up in combat and therefore can't shoot. That would be interesting. Yeah. It would though. I feel like it's so trivial to tie stuff up in AOS because everything's so fast and maneuverable. Yeah. And there are so many ways to get into someone's back line or bring stuff on from, from table edges that your shooting line will just get clogged up so easily. Mm. It'd be so trivial just to lock them up in combat because everything's so quick. Possibly. Although maybe that's then gives liberators a thing they do, which mm. is to stand with shields up in front of judicators, <laughs> which is very appropriate at that point. Yeah. But, um, so, uh, so, so many armies have ways of teleporting behind, ways of getting behind, true. just yeah, true. stopping them. Uh, so, I mean, it would be such a change to the game that it'd, you'd have to sort of rebalance a lot of movement stuff. The movement stuff is what makes it AOS so exciting. That's what, uh, you know, separates yeah. it from Warhammer Fantasy is the, the ability to bring units on 
on board edges and just do crazy mm. stuff like teleport units across the board, uh, do crazy stuff with uh, your Vanguard Palador where they're moving like 66 inches as a, as a kind of magical move. That kind of stuff is, is what that mad stuff that makes AOS very just crazy and exciting and a good objective based game. Um, as soon as you start like making, making tar pitting a core pillar of the, the game design, yeah. maybe it is it actually runs counter to the, um, the philosophy of AOS as a movement game. Yeah. I could totally see that. I think, I think there's, um, and I think because 40k does have rules like that. Yeah. And I think 40k actually like the, the issues with deep striking in 40k are more pronounced because mm. of that. Mm. Like, you know, the fly keyword is super important in 40k because yeah. it allows you to retreat and shoot. Um, and it's, it's, has hugely amplified importance because of the value of tar pitting in that game. So mm. I, I don't think you're wrong necessarily. I think it's more about feel. Mm. Like I'd like them to adjust things to the point where the rule set, like, um, where archers behave like archers to some extent. And I appreciate that it's a mad fantasy world and we are talking about war turtles to a great extent. <laughs> yeah. But like, um, for me, there's a difference between, it's, it's like what you're saying about Caradron shouldn't just be like coming down and winning or losing straight away. Yeah. Like you should be getting the full flavor of the fiction from that. And like, um, you know, I want, I want a Stormcast army to be this sort of like, uh, tightly orchestrated strategic kind of machine where unit synergies are really important and things like that. Mm. Like I'd love, and I don't know if it's any more complexity, but I'd love to see the rule that like, um, you know, judicate, you know, you, maybe you can't shoot if maybe it's becoming too complicated, but like you can't shoot into combat unless you have another friendly unit nearby. You know what I mean? Something like that. So that like judicators with bodyguards can shoot into combat. Judicators right. without bodyguards can't. Right. And that'd <laughs> yeah. be kind of an interesting sort of synergy thing. It's such a different balance. Everything in 40k shoots. That's the thing. It's, yes. It's like, so, um, the thing about targeting shooting in 40k is like, which bit do you target? Which bit do you mm. stop from shooting? That's not true of AOS where you've got one shooting unit and basically you getting something into combat with them turns them off. So it basically just removes the unit from the game. And that, I'm not sure that's such a good thing for a, for you. Yeah. To, maybe it'd be, yes. Yeah. Maybe that's fair. Like maybe it's like, or it could even be something like minus one to hit unless you're shooting the unit you're in combat with. Hmm. Maybe some modifiers just to. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Like, so you can shoot at the people who are fighting you, Yeah, but if you want to shoot the hero that's over there, it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to get into the situation where like an old edition Warhammer, you'd have to randomize every single shot going into a unit. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah. Like you'd, you could shoot into a unit, but you had to roll to see who, who it hit. So it'd be a kind of high risk right. thing, which is, which is actually, I really like that rule, but the actual execution of it means way more dice rolling. And it's really granular. Yeah. I think a lot of like, I played a lot more 40k this month and like, it made me appreciate AOS more. Not that I don't like 40k, I do. Yeah. Um, but like, um, AOS feels less like a foregone conclusion than 40k can. Mm. I think when stratagems are brought into play, yeah, I think double turns are an important part of that as well. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's more about feel. Like, mm. I think there's just some aspects of AOS that a, a second edition or a rules update or as an opportunity to kind of smooth over. Like here, like at the moment, it's balanced around the fact that you can target heroes. It's balanced around the fact that mm. units can shoot all the time. Yeah. But there are aspects of that that don't feel right to me. Like, you know, I, I still would like, I, mean, I think I suggested this last year when I, I came back from Cardiff, the blackout tournament, but like, um, being able to split fire to assign certain amounts of dice to different units. Yeah. 
feels like something that only the most specialist units should do. Mm. And I, I felt that way having just been on the receiving end of a Cunning Rock, like a savage <laughs> right. orc army. That's like the worst thing though. <laughs> it is. Cunning Rock is just but terrible. It's, but it's, that is the most extreme end of what the current Age of Sigmar shooting rules permit. Yes. And even encourage yeah. where you end up with flying spec ops naked orcs yeah, yeah. that can target all of your heroes with exactly the right amount of dice that you can't do anything about it yeah. in turn one and then do it twice like yeah it sucks it really sucks. sucks it sucks and there's like more strategic options against that doesn't hurt the game yeah but it, you don't I, I agree with you that you don't want to hurt the armies that are using it legitimately yeah this that's, is the thing like you can't des- design the game around the edge cases you can't like, i think yeah. it's always you get to a, a weird situation when you you're altering altering core rules to stop the edge cases rather than just banning the edge cases yeah and i think maybe that's the thing is it's just um it's just tightening things up a bit mm. and i think like i do think aos is a bit of a shooting heavy game and i would mm. like to see it rebalanced around melee combat mm. and interesting interactions in melee combat it depends. It depends. It varies so much between armies. Yeah, so I mean, true. go to the the tournament. There was a lot of shooting at the tournament. There yeah. was a lot. Of, well, in fact, let's let's move on to that because yeah, that's basically us for news. And like, so we should move on to what we've been doing. And the the big thing you did this month was you AOS doubles. So yeah, we went to um uh me and my friend Chimp went to uh the official AOS doubles tournament at Warhammer World in Nottingham, and it's the first time I've ever been there. And it was super cool and really I, that place is great. So it, it really is good. like uh, if you, I think it's just um. In terms of atmosphere, in terms of the the tables, the quality of the tables is so good. Um, it was really well organised, uh, and I'd say that, it, and it was a, such a good experience. I'd really recommend doing it as a kind of hobby goal, uh, because not only was the tournament excellent and really loads of fun, it kind of gave us motivation in the months leading up to the tournament to build stuff and paint stuff and mm. just get really excited about this building. And it just improved every aspect of the hobby for the months leading up to it. So there's a kind of sense of purpose to it and uh, a sense of building up to something. Um, it was, uh, it was really good. We went, uh, we've got three wins and two losses in the end. So, uh, we went in just hoping to get one win basically, because we'd never played in a competitive context before. Uh, and this was, it was interesting to see to what extent people were being competitive or not being competitive and to what extent people were just kind of fielding hobby armies and that kind of thing. And we fought some really strange forces <laughs> that's the great thing about doubles is that it's basically a, a crash tour around the age of sigma universe you're going to see so many armies you're going to see so many different types of things you can see so many war scrolls and uh, that makes it just everything's just exotic and crazy all the time and we fought enormous forge world dinosaurs uh, we fought chaos dwarves <laughs> which uh for, my first uh, war fantasy, fantasy battle army did you know that well you uh chaos dwarves yeah it was wow. chaos dwarves. yeah you need to spend about £400 to have a Chaos Tours army in these yeah. days because all of them are Forge World. So, yeah, I wonder how to approach this, really. Like, um, I don't want to do a blow-by-blow. Blow. I've got some notes about the games we played, which might be kind of fun to yeah, yeah, go totally, the stuff yeah. we faced. Uh, so, the first army, um, we fought a couple of guys from Bristol, just down the road. Gosh, I know. Yeah, they, and they were super lovely guys. A really, really nice game. And uh, they only started... Uh, playing Age of Sigmar Christmas. Oh wow! So they um they uh, they were um they had a one guy was fielding corn and the Grand Alliances didn't apply so you could lie across alliances if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, so um one guy was corn. The other guy, if I remember, uh, was Sylvaneth. Huh. 
the classic <laughs> alliance of trees, skulls, and for skulls. The skull guys. skulls for uh, skulls for the trees. Yeah. Um, uh, they made the slight mistake of splitting up the corn force. So uh, there was like half half five hundred points of corn on one side and five hundred points of corn on the other. The thing about corn is that you really want that the loads of overlapping radius buffs that make them really good so if you split it then you're sort of diluting that a lot yeah um this army could be corn on the cob maybe oh, I'm <laughs> kids uh, uh, so um i should explain that i i took stormcast eternals of course mm-hmm. uh, at a unit of formulators had two units of judicators and a castellant to put the buff on the formulators that makes them really hard to kill yep uh pretty standard stuff you see that in competitive play a lot uh then i took a celestial prime for fun for fun because <laughs> that thing it don't do much <laughs> that's what i discovered in this tournament though it became a live running joke how how bad it was uh the thing about the celestial prime is that it, it doesn't it does fuck all and then it goes ham and f- obliterates something and it's like wow was it worth <laughs> was it worth taking this probably was for that one moment um but it, uh, yeah, really good first game. Uh, I basically just charged the formulators up the the left flank, and the formulators just tanked the entire flank <laughs> with the castellan and slowly killed like the, all of the corn. Uh, Chimp is took a death army out of zombie dragon. He had a massive unit of forty skeletons, which was amazing. They're so good in the game uh, with the new uh, Nagash rules. Yeah, because you can put down grave sites and you put two in your own territory, and you can put a couple wherever you want on the board. And, uh, if you've got some necromancers nearby and stuff, you're getting like D3 skeletons back for each, uh, gravesite within nine inches, which is a lot. Uh, so if you've got like overlapping gravesites, you're bringing back like, f- like 15 skeletons, eternal or something. It's, it's just really, really good. Um, so you have that zombie dragon. What else do you have? Direwolves, which are really good as well. Just really, really old models, two wounds each. They can, they're really, really fast, good objective capture. Uh, so we ended up winning our first game and that was super nice because they were really nice because we kind of wiped out the corn almost immediately. And so the poor corn player had to sort of sit there for quite a long time <laughs> as we sort of slowly ground out the victory. Uh, but he was very nice about it. Um, so we're going to, uh, apparently there's going to be like a 1000 point uh, tournament. End of this month, big. Are big. Yeah, uh, I might go to that. Yeah, I might go we to should, that as well. Maybe we should also go to that. We should, we should go to that. And, uh, and apparently they were planning to do it as well. So we could just do some grudge matches against them. Mm. Uh, really nice guys. Um, so the second game we played, uh, was, uh, this is where some awkward things started happening. So it's, it's interesting in catching the social side of it, of, uh, yeah, yeah. gaming as well. And this is kind of one of the things that interests me most beyond like rules and meta and stuff. Yeah. Cause you haven't had loads of tournament experience practice. No, right? no. And I think I was really worried about etiquette and stuff, and it was actually fine. Like I, I didn't run into any problems. I think just the the thing I'd recommend is just really know your army inside out, so yeah. you can play to a certain speed. Uh, some of the biggest problems we ran into, apart from rules questions, was actually just slow play. And in that final game, um, the people were playing like were playing quite slowly, and it it was you know we could if you're playing to tank a force and then come back in turn four or five then you can't because people aren't playing quickly enough. And that, yeah, that's it's an issue in all these games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's particularly an issue with Warhammer because uh, the game requires you to throw so many dice. Like, you have to roll yeah. so, so many dice uh, that that just slows things down. And also, um, there are lots of horde armies, so moving 40 skeletons takes a while. Chimp brought magnetised uh, bases, basically, like um, 
you get like trays. A, a, yes trays basically that were magnetized so you could do that quickly but if we, we were fighting people like fire slayers and it was like uh 40 fire slayers coming up and being put one by one and moved one by one in two and a half hours you're probably not going to get a full game out it's just simply the just the maths of it <laughs> it doesn't yeah, quite yeah. work um so that's that's an interesting one in this particular game though we were playing against some moon clan grots which is basically just a billion moon clan grots and one enormous idol of mork which <laughs> the is the forge world is, kind is, of yeah, happy, happy statue it's just it delighted massive uh deadly boulders that <laughs> comes up to you and smashes you in the face um so and also uh iron jaws with godrak uh who is one of the most powerful heroes in the game and he rides this awesome dragon and the model is amazing and i loved seeing it on the tabletop it was so much fun to fight him uh so it, and it was it ended up being um it was knife to the heart which is a scenario where there are two points on the board if you take your opponent's point it's the one where you fight long ways on the table right uh yes though i think it's been changed so it's diagonal now right. um, uh, for in this particular general's handbook uh it's a, i think it's not a good scenario personally for tournament play because uh you either build an army to do it and have like people coming on from the back of the board and and, and taking stuff uh, or you, you you end up with two armies that just sit on their own point it was the one of the two wins i got in cardiff was knife to the heart oh yeah and it's because um the guy just didn't uh, didn't expect my screamers to disengage and go for his backline, right and i just like he was it was he was moon clang rocks as well i just flew over him and nice. just like, yeah, i'm in your backline now Sorry. So uh, what happened in our game was he put all of his Moonclan grots on his point, which is like 40 of them. And then uh, we put our skeletons on our point and that's the end of the game. <laughs> I mean, really, that's... It, it, so the victory ends up coming from um, the amount of points you've killed. Yeah. And at that point, it's just like a field battle. It's like a pitch battle. And Warhammer's never been amazing. Like the, AOS has never been an amazing pitch battle game. It's always been a really strong objective game. Right, yeah. Uh, because hence what we've been talking about so far in the pod, like it's a really good movement game. It's really interesting kind of board space control rules in terms of, you know, things having a three-inch bubble that you can't go in. Um, and this just, it, when it turns into a smash-up, it's just a dice-off. Uh, but in this case, it was awkward because... Uh, the guy deployed his idol of Mork and ran it at us and it gets like a load of movement buffs and stuff, but it was crazy that it went, it went so far, went straight into like my formulators in our own territory in the first turn. And we were like, just can we check the wall scroll? And we realized that the wall scroll on Chimp's iPad was different to the wall scroll on the other guy's iPad. Right. And it turns out they just updated the wall scroll like a month ago or something. And you don't get any notifications about that. So he was just playing with an old war scroll. Huh. And he couldn't have known. And it's only because, like, Jim had redownloaded everything recently just so, to make sure that everything was tight for the tournament. And it's, it's extremely awkward to, like, hold up, you know, a war scroll and say, actually, the rules for your thing are wrong. And it's through no fault of their own whatsoever. Yeah. And he wouldn't have deployed where he deployed if he couldn't get that extra movement buff. And, he, and the game would have played out slightly differently. Did you have a TO? make a decision about what applied or no um, he redownloaded the war scroll and saw that it had been updated and and we said uh take your move back because we know you wouldn't like have yeah. done that necessarily so we said you know just take that move back and and we can restart but there wasn't enough time to redeploy from scratch because we're already like half an hour into it right and you've got an extra two hours and they they knew they, they were cool about it and it's like yeah we know we can't re-rack because we won't get this game done um but it was just like a, it was a sore point obviously because yeah it's just a bad feeling and you know you've got to respect that really but i, I feel like we offered them like off, offering them to take the t- i don't know what more we could have done really no i don't think so like uh, yeah beyond getting a 
a judge over, but even then it's unambiguous. You use the most up-to-date version of the rules. Right, right? that's that's it really. Like you can't really argue with that. And they didn't argue at all. Like it was it was obviously disappointing for them, but um it was an insane battle because all of the heroes went to the middle of the board and beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> so it was like the formulators, the zombie dragon, uh the idol of Mork and Godrak just went to the middle of the board and uh we just we we killed twenty points more than they did. <laughs> oh wow. And scraped that by the tiniest, tiniest amount. Uh my uh adjudicator shot Godrak to death. Good job. Yeah. Six hundred and fifty points or something. <laughs> amazing. Uh adjudicators are amazing all tournaments actually. They're very, very, very good. So the third game we played uh was an amazing game. So we we got a couple of wins and it was a Swiss tournament system. Yeah. So uh basically it just match makes you people with similar levels of numbers of wins and uh you go up the tables and we were at, we ended up at table 6 of about 90. Nice. So uh we we got to the the heights of competitive action and the army start to get pretty brutal at that level and uh we fought a uh mix a caradron overlord guy uh that allied with a mixed order force and this is where we started to see some crazy kind of rules number wang happening where people spot an opportunity to ally things in a certain way that make crazy stuff happen uh so in this case it was a guy who took a, a really weird art, like empire artillery piece that fires rockets i don't right. recognize it uh and he took the lord ordinator which is the new yeah. importance hero who gets to make war machines shoot twice. Um, he also had like a, another couple of buffs that he put onto that thing. So basically it was, um, it was firing twice. It didn't need line of sight. So he just put it behind a wall and it had like a 40 inch range. The old artillery war scrolls feel like they are not designed for AOS because the range is just so insane. They right, can hit yeah. anything and especially if they don't need line of sight. Uh, so he just did that, got the first turn and just, destroyed the formulators uh before we could do anything at all it was just oh that's they go they're off um but once the interesting about like a trick list like that is once you've seen it you see what it does you can do stuff about it in aos so it was it, it was a really really good close game and it was the one with i think four objective markers where you're trying to keep hold of them yeah and because the caradron basically have to stand off and shoot they, and they don't really want to go and capture stuff um, we could just fly a, a zombie dragon up to get that. Uh, I could bring a, I brought the prime down much, much earlier than I would have otherwise wanted to, uh, just so I could use his meteor attack on, uh, to kill the artillery crew. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that the artillery piece itself is quite tough and will take damage, but if you kill its crew, it can't shoot anymore. So I just dropped a meteor on its head and then it died. And it couldn't, <laughs> it, and, uh, and, and also I'd taken the point because the, the prime was there. And it ended up being super, super, super close. It was really close. Like, um, the, the, the skellies moved up and just tanked loads and loads of carriage on fire. The zombie dragon was amazing. Um, our dire wolves, like, ran up to capture a point and they were just, like, trying to shoot us back all the time. And they ended up winning and they, they were really good players. And it was just a really exciting game of, mm. you know, they, 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 they built a really shooting heavy force. But the scenario play meant that that wasn't the be all and end all of the game. Yeah. Because that you've got to have maneuverability. You've got to be able to capture as well. And the friction in that game between those two things is really, really cool. It was really interesting. Um, so we lost that one. It was close. Uh, the next one was the biggest rules dispute <laughs> of the weekend. Um, we were playing against, uh, Chaos Dwarves. Allied with some ogres on I square bases. You mean legions of Asgore. That's it. Yeah, it took us ages to find the war scrolls. We didn't know where the hell they were in the yeah. in the app, and some ogres on square bases. So they were like really super super old school armies and just really exotic weird war scrolls for them. Um, 
which is interesting. There was a big rules dispute um, when uh, basically Chaos Dwarves can go into combat and when they're saving, uh, if they roll a six, they deal mortal wounds back. Right. Uh, but uh, there's, if there's obviously if there's a like a minus one rend thing going on, that turns that off, right? Uh, well wrong according to this guy <laughs> and we ended up in a big argument about it about like when a role gets modified yeah because um, well <laughs> you know i mean he's he's wrong is it exactly yeah, it's in yeah. the rules it's yeah the rules. the rules are that anything that triggers triggers after modification because that helps you as much as it doesn't because like exactly. if you have yeah. plus one to hit and something it triggers on a six suddenly it triggers on a five exactly yeah yeah so it swings i mean if they'd been in cover then they'd they'd have been they'd have gotten it if they'd have had, you know, uh, a, a different buff on, they'd have gotten it. Um, but it was just like, you know, he's like, oh, well, it's the word he says the role, but then the, the role is modified because, and literally you could go back to the core rules. And on the four page rule sheet, he says literally explicitly lists it. Anyway, I ended up having to get a tournament organizer over. Yeah. And, um, the tournament organizer again, like said, yes, that's how that works. It modifies. Uh, and then about the guy argued for about five minutes. About like, you know, that's not how it should work. This seems crazy. The word's crazy. When it's crazy. And there's like nothing you could do about it. It's, it was just a weird kind of moment where they couldn't let it go. Yeah, that stuff's tough. And I think like managing the social pressure of a moment like that, like how did you guys handle it? Like, did you just let him argue and then get back to the game? Or? Yeah, that's pretty much right. Right, it's the right approach. Yeah, I mean, it's just, everyone knows where this is going to end up. A tournament organizer has final say. And he works for Games Workshop, who made this game. <laughs> uh, so that, like, that's it. And obviously, like, we apologise to say, like, oh, sorry, didn't mean to, like, because it, it was the difference between the zombie dragon dying or not dying. Dying, it was quite a key moment. But also, it's just the rules. Yeah, it's just the rules. And plus, I, and also, I think it's it, it's better to do that because that we were on game three, and he'd been playing with that wrong rule for two games. And you know what I mean? So yeah, whenever yeah. you correct, you correct someone, you actually preserve the rule set for their, their future games. This is one of the things that I think is sort of not, a, it's not a, comp- like, it's not a weakness of Warhammer. It is a competitive weakness of Warhammer. Mm. Um, and maybe we'll talk about this when we talk about other games we played recently, but like you roll so many dice and there are so many factions mm. and so many war scrolls that you want to be able to trust that your opponent is executing their own rules yep, appropriately. Absolutely. You don't have time to look up all of their stuff. There are too many pieces in the game for any one person to know everything, really. Yep. So especially all knowing it all the time. So you have to be able to trust that when someone says, oh, I get plus one to hit against this, mm. you go, okay, yeah, sure. Just tell me what the successes are. Yeah, tell yeah. me how many saves I need to roll. And so if someone is getting that wrong that can snowball really hard mm. because people just trust. You have to be able to just trust. Yeah. The game doesn't work otherwise. So like, yeah, you're right to call people on that. And I think there's a, I think there's, I've encountered this in X-Wing. There's a, there's a social pressure to not want to like make a fuss mm. that you have to fight sometimes. And like, I have had situations where a lot of the time people don't know that they're wrong, for example. But allowing for those situations where someone can kind of ambiguously go, oh, I just thought it worked this way and not be challenged, not, not call the TO over and not go through the sure, thing. Sure, sure, sure. Like, um, opens the doors to abuse. Like every TO I've spoken to in other contexts has said, like, if there's any doubt, bring a TO over. That's what they're for. Mm. And that unambiguous injection of perspective allows you to continue the game without bad feeling. Like, um, I lost the game at the, 
European Championships for X-Wing mm. that was very close. It was a difficult matchup for me anyway, but I lost it because a guy basically convinced me about an incorrect interpretation of the rules. Oh, right. And he did that by basically leaning over me physically. Right. And I felt really uncomfortable. Like he was a six foot two dude and I'm a five foot five dude. Mm. And I just felt really uncomfortable. So I was like, yeah, okay, that works. And it was about secondary weapon ranges. It's a really minor, well, mm. it would be a minor thing, except he used it to blow up Emperor Palpatine. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and I felt, you know, uh, physically put off. And I, and you know, this was in a weird situation because I'd never really felt like that playing X-Wing before. Mm. Um, but the guy was a former 40k player. Right, right. And 40k used to have a really bad reputation for exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. this. Yeah. And, um, I'd never encountered it before. And I made the mistake of going over to a TO after the game mm. to say, is this right? And he was like, no, that's not right. Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't have been able to do that. Who was it? But at that point, it's done. Yeah. Right. That guy ended up getting knocked out in the second round of the top eight or something. Mm. And I ended up feeling good about that. But I, that was the first time I'd, I'd really felt bad about it. And I realized, hang on, no, I should have. I felt obviously it sucks that someone would, would kind of impose their will in that way but also social pressures are such that that's quite a complicated thing to unpick yeah, yeah if you know if you are an operate operational member of society your impulse will be to smooth mm-hmm. the situation and make it work and actually you should never be put in that situation but if you are you should feel in your rights to go let's get a third party mm. to take the responsibility off me in this regard yeah so i think you did absolutely the right thing i think the thing is like um uh, almost everyone we played with was just super happy to resolve things as simply as possible through discussion. No one wants to go get the teacher, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. That's that's but that's the thing. That, yeah. But like, sometimes it when it, especially when it comes down to such a core rule that is quite clear. Uh and we like Jim argued didn't I mean very you know very like politely. Politely to say, oh it actually works this way. Um so I don't think that really triggers. And then just the guy to dig in then there comes a point where it's like, well, this isn't going to resolve itself. Like, I just, so I wouldn't see it as getting teacher. Like, see yeah, it this yeah, way, yeah. right? You're in a competition. You're in a tournament. Mm. If, if the resources were available, every single table no, would have a referee. referee. Yeah. See it as there's a floating referee who needs to be summoned sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's what it does. It works. Like, and once the guy cooled down, it was fine. Like, uh, we, we got on with the rest of the game and it, and it was nice. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes people, it sounded like that. The, the intimid- that in- intimidating guy you face with sounds like that just is what he was like. That's like what he's like as a person. But sometimes people feel disappointed and they dig into the emotion. Yeah, that's true. There's, there's always a, a reason why someone behaves negatively. Yeah. But, yeah, like- but, but, um, that, that passed. Like, he, he did. Yeah. And then he actually apologized and said, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't. Yeah. And he apologized about getting emotional about it as well. So, I mean, once you get past it, like people tend to be quite good at getting on with things. I think a genuine and positive of tabletop gaming can be that you have these genuine interactions with other human beings mm. like you have to suddenly become a little bit responsible for someone else's feeling yeah yeah but th- it goes both ways right like yeah, yeah. And, it, and after that like it was um a good game we threw it because we played badly uh, <laughs> basically we should have easily won it but uh yeah and it was totally fine after that like we, we saw them in the pub afterwards and we were just chatting like the really nice thing about tournaments is that you see people you've played before and you sort of catch each other up on where you are and uh it's, it's yeah, really yeah. really nice really sociable uh, so, and they're, they're nice guys as well. Uh, but it's, it's interesting how just these moments can happen in wargaming and, and the, the, the ambiguity of, well, it wasn't ambiguous this yeah, week, but man, you know, like, I've, you know. Seen, like I've had, I've seen so many different things happen, mostly through X-Wing, but like, if you can't shake it off afterwards, then there's an issue, but mm. if you can, then. Yeah, totally. Like, um, 
same European Championships, I won a game I probably shouldn't have won because me and my opponent were both running the same ship, a TIE Defender, hmm. um, except I was using a pilot who is depicted as flying a blue ship and I was using the red model hmm. and my opponent was running a ship who's traditionally flying a red model with a blue model. Hmm. So I had a, a blue guy flying red and he had a red guy flying blue. And one turn of the game, he made a colossal game-losing error because he got our models mixed up. Oh, nice. And he knew which model he had brought. Yeah, and yeah, I knew yeah. which model I had brought. Yeah, yeah. And the entire game hinged on remembering <laughs> yeah. which model was yours, which is the most basic thing in wargaming, right? Oh, I thought that was your my guy <laughs> is a really dumb mistake to make. But I've never seen someone, like, collapse in on themselves. With, oh, like, no. oh my God. Like, he kind of wanted to be able to take it back. Yeah. But there was no taking it back. Like, mm-hmm. you've made a huge mistake. <laughs> and like, he, like, and the, the entire game collapsed for him from mm. that point onwards. He made, it was just like, it was also like bad luck because the position he was forced into because of that was like a catastrophic, um, like it meant basically that instead of doing a, uh, a flip turn that would allow him to get a kill shot on one of my important ships, he crashed into one of my other ships and oh, couldn't no. shoot and then got blown up from behind. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. it was just a disaster and it wouldn't be the game. And I was, I, I felt like I should constantly apologize. Like I felt this pressure to be like, I'm oh, God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. But like neither of us, like there was literally no blame to hand around yeah. because we'd both done the same thing. We'd both decided to pick a different model for aesthetic reasons. Hmm over the standard one depicted on the card art. We'd both done the same thing in reverse. Yeah, yeah. And so as a consequence, he looked at his card and got his models mixed up and that was it. And that was, but afterwards, like, and I could see like the, the, the rising tide of salt within him. Like he was, but it was self-directed right, anger. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. like really hard to watch someone else just be like, Oh God, like I've traveled to the European championships. Yeah. I've just done this. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the kind of empathy of like, oh God, I feel so bad for you, but also I really want to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, like afterwards he was like, good game. But he obviously <laughs> didn't mean it, but it was like, he could move on from it and yeah. we could kind of move away from it. And that was kind of the, the appropriate thing, right? Mm. Rather than. Yeah. Disappointment is, uh, is part of the game. Things are going to go yeah. wrong. Um, and I, d- I don't begrudge people acting disappointed or being annoyed about stuff uh, when it's not like confrontational. Uh, but when it becomes confrontational, that's that's an interesting point. Someone yeah. has to back down, right? Yeah, yeah. I think to learning down. to be a good loser is a really good. Yeah, t- I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. It's been my journey over the last year <laughs> playing Warhammer against you, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I completely agree with that. And um, th- these are only just moments that I fixated on. I think these moments are always going to happen in, yeah. the, in, in these tournaments where there's hundreds of people and the world rules very complicated. And that was not like. It didn't spoil anything at all, and it wasn't a negative thing that carried through to the rest of the the experience. Everyone was basically lovely for yeah. the whole thing. So, I, I, I mean, I fixated on these points because they're interesting, rather than because they're representative of the entire experience. Um, it was it was absolutely brilliant, and the painting standard was exceptional. I was really oh, cool. really happy that the Warhammer World um, boards and the terrain uh, are outstanding. They're really beautifully painted up, and. All of our opponents had fielded beautifully painted armies. Really, really great stuff. And I was really surprised because um, um, there are big 40k games happening around, and I don't I don't mean to dump on 40k all the time, but because um, <laughs> I like 40k, I like it as well. But yeah, uh, but there, there was one of their eight foot tables, and it was obviously like a five thousand point battle. There were titans there, and um, only about like twenty percent of both armies were painted. Just loads of grey plastic, and like you go into one world. For, 
playing all these beautiful tables and the, the, the armies aren't painted and I'm just like part of me just went oh. <laughs> <laughs> judging you so hard right now <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's great. Go to Warhammer World if you can. It's, it's awesome. A lot of our community are very soon. Oh, awesome. Yeah, they're doing a meetup. Aren't they? Yeah, they are. Uh, it's, uh, the staff are really good as well. It was super well organized. Really, really enjoyed it. Oh, our, our last game was, um, against Fire Slayers and Lizard Men. The Lizard Men army was crazy. They had like a, the, the, the enormous dinosaur unit that, Forge World sells. I think that's just, isn't that just the Lizard Men hip hop collective? <laughs> enormous dinosaur <laughs> unit. Uh, and this, it was, it was the biggest model in AOS it's got to be it's enormous it's beautifully painted up and um, it failed to kill Jude Kicks <laughs> but it, 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 it's, it was so dicey and it kind of got a charge off and stuff and, and Jude Kicks tanked it for two turns I was like wow <laughs> oh damn <laughs> yeah good job Jude Kicks uh, and that was the one with Fire Slayers and they popped up and uh, charged but we, we kind of ran out of time as we were coming back and actually um, one lesson not only just know your own war scrolls but know the scenarios inside out because we yeah. made an error that meant that we got a minor victory rather than a major victory that we should have had. Because when you take a point in this scenario, you get double points for taking it off the opponent. So um, once we'd tanked the initial charge from um, the uh, the giant dinosaur and all the fire slayers who, who basically come up from underground and then, then attack you, we basically just tanked that and struck back. And um, in turn three, we just exploded outwards with all of our fast-moving forces and just seized everything on the board. And we should have been taking double points for each one of those. So instead of uh, instead of getting a minor victory, we should have had a major. But obviously, once you've reported it, that's that's the result that goes, goes through in the end. Um, so yeah, know your war scrolls, know your scenarios inside out, and know the rules <laughs> know the core <laughs> rules of the game yeah. i'd recommend and it, it speeds everything up i think this the speed the speed thing is is the, the one thing that i i hadn't thought about properly before going to a tournament yeah especially for for warhammer and i've deliberately taken a very low model count army where i know the rules for those models inside out 100 percent um so i knew that i wouldn't be making mistakes or accidentally cheating or, or doing anything wrong uh so yeah i think that's that's what you, what you have to do to, if you're going into a tournament mm get to that level of expertise with your own army with, yeah, with your own army that sounds like a great experience though it was really good and it's quite pricey to do it uh, not because the ticket prices necessarily but also just travelling up and yeah. Airbnbs and stuff like that it, it is it is expensive but I feel like the net uh, experience, net positives in terms of the run up to the tournament and how motivating it was from a hobby perspective in addition to the tournament itself is something I'll do once a year I think is go up and Either do doubles or do AOS yeah. singles or something like that. And and it's and now I've done that once, I would totally go to big and play in any tournament. So like I'm totally I it's yeah. totally fine. Now I know I can navigate any social things that happen. I know that I know the rules well enough to play uh competitively. So I feel like yeah, that's over the hump now. I could just do it whenever I like. Red. Yeah. Really nice. Great. Yeah, so that was a big section on that. No, but, no. Um, but it was, it was quite a, uh, it was quite a big hobby moment, I think. Before we move on to painting, I mm. wanted to talk briefly about, I've played a couple of games because I, I've started going, because, um, because I work for myself. I can occasionally cover a little bit of time. So Thursdays are our local games workshops kind of game days. So I, I managed to take my armies down. I've sort of started keeping a demon army in a, in my crusade case mm. so that I can just sort of like go and play 40k or AOS whenever I want. Yeah, right. To about a thousand points. Mm. Um, so that means that actually this month I've had a little bit more experience with both game systems than I normally do. Uh, I'm not going to do blow by blow. Mm. Um, needless to say, I uh, lose every game I play. Um, my takeaways from this month, and maybe this will be a regular feature of things I've learned. One, Marathi. 
Okay. Yeah. She's relatively new to Age mm. of Sigmar. Yeah, yeah. Hit Marathi. Because, do you know how Marathi works? So she can freak out, right, and go into she, a... She can freak out and turn form. into a big snake woman, but that's not the main thing. Is she limits damage to a certain amount yes. of turn, so you've got to get that damage in early. We had a really funny game <laughs> where we used the open war cards to kind of determine objectives and stuff. Right? Yeah. We happened to have a game where we were fighting over a treasure chest in the middle of the map. One objective. Mm. Uh, unit grabs it. And then they have it until they die. Whoever holds it at the end of the game wins. Super simple. However, Marathi, who, uh, it was a really interesting back and forth. Siege demons versus flying angry elves. Mm. Very interesting back and forth. The changeling tied up an entire unit of doomfire warlocks and a blood cauldron by himself nice. in the corner of the board. Yeah. Really interesting. However, then turn three of five. Mm. No, sorry. Right round with three rounds to go. Marathi grabs the treasure chest. Turns into a snake. Mm. She's undamaged. The game is over. Right. You can't damage Mathematically, her. she cannot be killed at that point. This is super edge case, because it's like, if there is only one objective on the board, then the game is over. Yep. Yep. Um, moral of that story? Kill Marathi. Kill Marathi. Yeah. Let's kill Marathi. At least start doing damage early on, I suppose. Shoot her straight away. Yeah. Um, yeah, because she, um, any damage she takes in, in mini Marathi form does carry it over. Yeah. But that was a really fun game. And actually, <clears throat> um, Daughters of Cain is a super fun army to play against. Oh, cool. Because cool. they're so flimsy. Right. Until they're not. And then they're fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and it was a really interesting matchup because I'm so used to the Stormcast matchup that like, um, like all of my mortal wounds and shooting is actually doing loads of work. But then they get close and they're suddenly terrifying. Mm. And they obviously have, they have a, a six up ignore and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but yeah, um, what else did I play? So I also, but I also played a, a game of 40k, uh, Zinch Demons versus Nurgle Demons mm. that I wanted to bring up because it highlighted two th- So we were playing a thousand point game, uh, both with battalion detachments. So this was 40k? Yeah, 40k. Okay. Um, it's hard to tell because so could nothing die then with all the immortal saves. No, demons. a lot of things. Died. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so I think I was playing as a friend, but a friend who um, I was playing as Jim, who runs big. So oh yeah, cool. Um, and he's a very good player, and I think he he approached with the mindset of like his army is built to win, whereas my army is built to be physically present and then not be. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I would say. That like had I had I known that I would have brought my Lord of Change. Yeah, but I, yeah. I get very nervous about transporting my Lord of Change. So sure. I just had regular demons. He had a great and clean one and a thirty model block of plague bearers in in a thousand points. <laughs> with yep. everything else is just filler. Yeah, yeah. Like those two things are incredibly hard to shift. And we were playing in a kind of we were playing in open play, but using stratagems and battalions and things. Yeah. Which is only important because in matched play 40k, you can't use the same stratagem twice mm. in a given phase. Okay. Whereas we were playing it open enough to allow multiple stratagem use, but matched play enough to be limited to detachments and those kinds of things. Okay. And what that meant is that both he, he was able to put both his great and clean one and 30 plague bearers in the warp and deep strike them, <laughs> which takes away basically their only weakness, yeah. which is that they're slow. Okay. So they were both in my face at the beginning of the game. Um, two amazing things happened yeah. in this game. I lost real badly. I'm not surprised. <laughs> but like, <laughs> that was brutal. <laughs> um, uh, uh, two amazing things happened. One was the fact that, um, I didn't realize this. This is inc- the, the changeling is incredible in 40k. Oh, right. Like really different. So he doesn't get any kind of like deploy in your territory, pretend to be in your army stuff mm. at all. What he does is he confers a, or it confers a five up invulnerable save. Oh, sorry, a five up, um, 
mortal wound, ignore, feel no pain type thing on mm. any unit within nine inches of him, which is great. Really good. Because you get a four up and vulnerable save followed by a five up. Yeah, that's really good. Completely ignore. Yeah. So that was really good. And I actually like almost fought the great and clean one to a standstill until it started regening. Mm. But the other thing he does is, so in, in AOS, when the changeling fights in combat, he takes your weapon profile. So he remains the changeling, but he takes your, you know, if he, if he fights your formulators, he can take your... He gets Galmaraz if he fights his body. Yeah, exactly. Oh, in, in 40k, he doesn't just take your weapon profile, he takes your stat line as well. What? Yeah. So he gets your strength and toughness, huh. but only in the combat phase. Right. Okay. So what happened to the change thing was I realized, hang on, I, I should charge this great yeah, and clean yeah, one. Yeah. So he charges the great and clean one, gains the toughness eight and all the rest of it, mm. almost kills the great and clean one, but doesn't, just doesn't. But this particular great and clean one was armed with the flail, which is technically a shooting attack oh, no. and a pistol. It's technically a yeah, pistol. Yeah, yeah. So he was able to hit the changeling in the shooting phase, which is when the changeling can't mimic yeah. the toughness. Yeah. And just completely obliterate him. But the best thing that happened, and the most me thing that could have possibly happened, is this. Great and clean one plops down out of the fucking oh, warp sphincter yeah. right in front of my army. Yeah. Fails a charge. Yeah. Takes damage from, um, and takes damage from Overwatch in failing the charge. Of course, yeah, yeah. So I have this turn where my entire army is pointed at this great and clean one. So I use one of the Zinch stratagems to allow me to reroll all failed, um, psycho tests for the following round just because i'm just going to pour mortal wounds into this thing yeah right my general was a herald on disc you've seen him plenty of times mm-hmm. so time to go i'm going to cast one of the big uh mortal wound heavy psychic powers many of them available to zinch i pick my power i roll a double one. Oh no but re-roll. i can re-roll yeah. all failed rolls i re-roll them into a double one. Oh, that's the most then, best thing <laughs> yeah no wait hang on so i'm like hang on no i'm going to spend another compa- command point to re-roll one of them because i get plus two to this roll right so when casting smite so I, if i re-roll it into a three then it's a successful smite that's fine i re-roll it into a one. Oh my god <laughs> it's, it's a, five ones in a row is it perils of the wolf as well it was very perilous. oh my god no he killed himself <laughs> oh my god he, he blew, blew up why do your wizards keep blowing up i don't know in every game system <laughs> every game system it doesn't matter it was incredible it was like i didn't just fail one perils of the warp i failed five. Oh my like, god that's one- awful <laughs> that's awful that's almost as awful as a deep striking great unclean one just a giant monstrous turd coming in from space yeah we were we were trying to figure out like what each chaos demon's like <laughs> warp exit looked like nurgle's obviously just an anus that opens yeah, and plops yeah. the grand clean one uh zinch is probably like a freaky eye or something and slanesh is unspeakable <laughs> x-rated oh that's uh that's hideous, hideous uh, yeah. it was like, give, like given that our very first game of age of uh, 40k was the one where you just march nurgles very slowly at, at me while blew arm up. Up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like this is a thing it's really I, I, like it is becoming something i'm very proud of my ability to keep doing but yeah, like yeah. people had people had like gathered by that point in the game to watch what happened it's like double one Reroll, double one, <laughs> reroll, a one. <laughs> uh, you just gotta laugh at those moments. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It, it was so good. But I thought I'd draw attention to that as the most me thing. That's that very good. That's happened. very good. I'm enjoying the saga of exploding wizards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. May it long, long may it continue. Um, how's your painting month been? Uh, I'm pa- painting with Star Drake, Star Drake Watch <gasps> 2018, <laughs> Star Drake Watch April. Uh, so yeah, I've, uh, he, he's undercoated. He's, um, dry brush. Really good. He's uh thank you yeah he's um 
he takes a dry brush real good. Mm-hmm. Those scaly monsters, just dry brush them. Don't worry about it. It's just don't worry about painting all the scales. Just dry brush them. It's going to look better. Uh, the, I t- use the painting scheme, uh, that Duncan, Warhammer TV Duncan, uh, uses in the videos. Uh, which is I like, think that's a, I think that was a good choice. And like, I know you agonized uh, about that. I but... did, I did. And I, I, I've always felt like slightly annoyed at myself for just going at ha- Hammers of Sigma. You know, I do love the color scheme. It does look really good. I, I always thought, you know, ah, oh, can I come up with my own thing? Uh, but in this case, totally the right thing to do. Like the, the particular combination of, uh, dry brush colors makes the scales look freaking awesome. I'm really happy with the way he looks. Uh, and he's, it's just about, uh, I've done these scales now. I've done all the bits that I've not d- painted before. So now it's just armor and gold, which is, uh, pretty standard. If you've uh, painted loads of Stormcast, it's just about going through the motions with that. And then do, I'm going to do some freehand kind of stars and stuff on the wings and get some nebulae on there and, uh, really get some kind of cool weird colors going on, on those flat open wing spaces. Wings deceptively hard, hard to paint. Uh, getting the, Tell me about it. yeah, cause you've painted the manticore this month. Uh, I have, yeah. Getting the uh, separation between, I don't know, the pinions and the actual wing flap. Yeah. Is a ball the, the, the membrane. <laughs> the membrane, right, yeah. And the actual kind of bony kind of yeah. stuff that, that, it's just really annoying to do that because the, the, the sculpt is distinct, but not that distinct. Like you've got to do, yeah. you've got to pick a point, a line and just basically freehand it to an extent and yes. get that clara- clarity between them. It helps then getting some like normal oil, using oils to kind of, creates the uh the darkness around the the ribs uh the ribbing if you like uh, then <laughs> the, yeah <laughs> uh that that helps them to pop as well um and also it's just because uh the the ribs were the same color scheme as the scales i basically had to dry brush them to keep the consistency between the two so i i didn't i couldn't paint the membranes until i'd done the dry brushing on the pin right on, uh, so i'd recommend doing it the other way around yeah, absolutely yeah you, you should if you can um but i because the, the the two two of the dry brush paints were actually dry brush paints right. so i couldn't just free i couldn't just use like a layer paint to create the same effect mm. so i had to go and dry brush the ribs and then go in afterwards with the uh with the red for the membrane and that is hard like that could go wrong to loads of clean up looks fine now but that was a ball like <laughs> so yeah you, you, you're right chris so that's totally the way to do it with wings get the membrane down and then do the rest of it yeah probably much easier that way uh but he's looking good he's um i wish i'd kind of cleaned up a bit more bit more before i started painting him like there's there's some kind of cracks of bits i would green stuff but i think if you're actually just looking at him you'd never notice i think honestly i know that um not everyone's in agreement on this i think some stages of model cleanup are actually overrated right in terms of like the effect on your eye of looking at the model yeah like yeah i mean if you're not aiming to win a golden demon like yeah don't worry about it if you're not going to get it like really photographed, you know, uh, like trying not to have a huge hole. Reasons, yeah, like, yeah, of course. Like there's there's a lot of the Star Trek stuff. Like the wings are so big, they hide stuff as well. A lot of it's like under his, like on his chest, underneath the armor, and just going under. Like stuff that you're not going to look at unless you're like judging a painting competition. So uh, yeah, whatever to leave it. I would say actually, um, I've had some problems with the the undercoat on uh, the Star Drake. So I'm using, uh, what's the gray games workshop? Mechanica standard gray. Mechanica standard, which is very, very good, but don't spray it in sub zero temperatures. No. <laughs> which is what I did, uh, cause I was really keen to get going and I thought, and it wasn't snowing, but it was like, it was in the big kind of snow, uh, yeah, the crazy snows, the crazy snows that we had in, in Britain, uh, last month. But yeah, going out there, sprayed it, it seemed completely fine. Um, but now I'm actually doing it like 
edges of stuff, like the the tips of uh, spikes on the back of the Star Drake. Um, the edges of uh, armor plates are just resisting paint. Uh, so mm. you'd paint it all up and then you leave it and then 10 minutes later you go back and it's just still showing grey on the very edges of stuff, just like here and there. Right. And it's, it's weird. It's almost as though the undercoat contracted somehow once it had gone on. Right. And it's just something's gone wrong with it. Uh, it's fine because I could just like... Uh, Citadel base colors will eventually base it properly, like, mm, yeah. uh, but it is, it has been a problem. And, um, I think like spraying in very cold or very hot conditions changes the properties. Very the good coat. spraying time of year right now. Yeah. Yeah. Just mild. Like, I, right? I did loads the other day yeah. just to kind of get ahead of the curve. Yeah. I, I might do that because I've, I've built most of my Vanguard now and I'm just going to get them sprayed while it's mild in the coming week or so, uh, before it starts getting super hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's a tip. Look out for the temperature and conditions on your undercoating your models. It'll have long-term consequences, basically. <laughs> you got loads done this week, Chris. I, I, has, I've had a very busy month. So I tried to figure out earlier, like, so this month, it feels like I've done more than I have actually, but like, so I, in terms of units completed mm. this month, I have painted, you know, Blood Warriors, Skull Crushers, a Slaughter Priest, a Chaos Lord on Manticore, and 20 Brimstone Horrors. Yeah. Uh, and Darth Vader, <laughs> but we'll get to him in a minute. I love your Conqueror. I think that I think that's the best best stuff you've done in terms of choice of color scheme and I think vibe. So. I think it's a more mature, really cool, yeah, set of yeah. They're all uh, for context that Tom is looking at them currently. They're yeah, all sorry, on yeah, my yeah. little sideboard there. Mm. So some of those models were already done, like the the mounts for the um, skull crushers were most of the way along at the beginning of this month. Six of the blood warriors were already done, so really I painted four of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had a really busy month for, for getting that done. The spur for that was the end of the Mile Importance painting competition. Yeah. Because yeah. the muster was a start collecting box month one, the Harbinger month two, hmm. and an additional unit, probably a monster month three. And so I, I didn't actually meet any of the deadlines for the previous months because my start collecting box was only finished this month. Yeah. But, um, I did hit the final deadline altogether and, um, I was really happy to win, uh, gold in the, competition in bath which was Sweet. really nice That's yeah awesome. and actually it was really good uh, a little bit like how you uh like how you talk about um prepping for tournament the 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 process of getting ready for multi importance and following that thing along at every step was mm. really really good and it was really nice to finish the corn stock collecting box which i think was otherwise just going to languish in my shame pile and to kind of try and push it a little bit further so the slaughter priest I did for my importance. I'd already painted a slaughter priest. We've been using him from skirmish for a long time. Yeah. I had another version of exactly the same model from the white dwarf free from uh, the white. Well, the one that I'd already painted was the white dwarf free uh, one. Yeah, yeah. So the one oh, I yeah, had the, the was the box. Stock box. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to cheat in the competition. I need to actually paint a slaughter priest. Mm. So I kit bashed him using pieces from the, uh, other pieces from the Star Collecting Box, Blood Warrior arm and stuff, and also the flail from a Mordheim Skaven. Oh, nice. It's the oldest bit. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I converted him up to kitbash him, please, how he came out. But I had a bit of a kind of question mark of what I was going to do for that kind of like additional unit. Mm. And I ended up picking up the last Chaos Lord on Manticore in Bath. Yeah, it's yeah. an older kit. It's like an older Slaves to Darkness kit, but I really like it's it. It's a really kit, nice model. It? It's awesome. And adding this sort of, um, and actually super quick to paint. Like I'm really pleased with how he turned out. Mm. And part of that is color choice, 
but actually like that model took about the same amount of time to paint as the slaughter priest oh, right. and about yeah. half the amount of time that the war queen yeah. took despite being an eight 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 times bigger and there are a couple of reasons for that and i so i thought my tip of the month would be talking through kind of so the the first thing is I sort of had an idea of like how this, I was trying to figure out how this character is going to fit into the fiction of my force. Mm. Um, and my idea was that I want like, I wanted like a character on a monster, but I didn't want them to necessarily be the general. Mm. So I really want the war queen to be the, the general of the army. Yeah. So I came up with this idea of like fantasy doesn't really have the equivalent of like free blade Imperial Knights in for, you know, in 40 K we have these kind of like they're mega units, but they're kind of just there to help. <laughs> Um, so my idea was, and I think we're going to try and link these ideas in a kind of cool way. Cause I've spoken about this already, but like mm. for the benefit of the pod, the idea is that, um, this, um, sort of knight on a manticore is a kind of rogue knight, last of an order of kind of manticore riding <laughs> knights from the realm of metal who was sort of turned to chaos, but in a kind of uh, non-god specific way. Um, in order to further his sort of dreams of martial conquest. But I wanted the twist to be that he is not the last of his order because, um, he is the last survivor or the greatest hero or something like that. He is the last of his order because the rest of his order were wiped out by chaos and most of them were taken by Sigma. <laughs> so he's actually the least worthy in some right. ways. Yeah. Like <clears throat> he is the last of his kind because he was the one that wasn't worth taking yeah. by the magic gold man. And I like the idea that your, uh, imminent to arrive in our campaign, uh, uh, Celestin on Star Drake mm. might be from the same order. Yeah, that's totally the way to go. Like, totally they, the they, they both go. ride monsters, but like, mm. your, you know, yours is one of, one of the actual good ones yeah, <laughs> that got yeah. taken. I've, um, I did a head swap on the, um, Celestin on Star Drake. Uh, so his head is actually one of the Vanguard, is the Vanguard Hunter. Oh, cool. With the hair. With the hair. And it looks fucking great. That's, I'm so pleased with how it looks because I really like the idea of having a face on my general. Cause I, I think it's perfect for Tantra. So if you, um, listen to previous pods, you'll know, you know about Tantra's fate. Mm. He's seen He's been, re- yeah. He's <laughs> been reforged too many times. He's but been yeah, set on fire too many times. So a, a kind of, um, blank faced, uh, just, uh, golem of murder that goes where Sigma tells him. Like, it's great to have that, uh, that, that, mask for that uh but i like the idea that um this the guy riding the star drake will actually be a, a per, more of a person uh more of a kind of uh more of a human side to him than uh previous uh touches himself and i love uh having a little bit of light and dark mirroring across the tabletop yeah it's, it's a nice it's little neat. story like and so i kind of wanted this idea that he's this sort of rogue knight mm. like um his name is going to be ghetto in the school mm. which is a complicated series of ursula Le Guin puns <laughs> right. it was just after she passed away so i like dragon riders kind of oh, yeah, thing cool. yeah. um and um but the um i want him to kind of show up as a kind of free blade and actually because i decided that because at the moment i think the slaves that don't range is quite limited like there are models i like like the lord of manticore yeah but there's a lot of models i don't like so what i want to build up on that side of things i have my corn and the corn models are great but on the kind of uh, chaos undivided side i want to build up a little family of heroes really and they won't all appear in every game yeah but they all have interesting lack of allegiance mm. basically so at the moment that's the dark earth war queen the dark earth chieftain and this new lord on manticore yeah cool they're all part 
of a kind of like chaos undivided a team that may show up leading armies from different yeah, god yeah. pantheons mm. but like will remain like an undivided core so rather than trying to think of building an undivided army it'll just be like a hero cadre yeah, yeah. um but anyway so to establish this kind of uh free knight kind of thing i had this idea of like the black knight like the the knight that shows up at the joust that no one's expecting oh, yeah. yeah yeah like and so i thought the black was going to be like the kind of defining color um but that's really hard to to figure out because well, it's easy and it was actually quite quick in the end but like planning it out is the way of kind of um making it not look boring yeah particularly because if you look at the heavy metal manticore it's super colorful it's right, stripes yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know they can like it's a really nice model it's an older model but it's really 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 nice kit um and so um i think my tip for the month would be like um a lot of this has been um about thinking about materials mm. and so there's a lot of different kinds of black on that model so i looked at um how i might where i might draw color so there's uh, parts of the base which use bits from the shattered dominion kit um to give him kind of he's surrounded by like a shattered bronze dais yeah i kind of want it like imply that he's just landed in this like sort of kind of crashed down crashed down in this realm of metal kind of thing but that reflects the flesh tone of the membranes in the wings which is somewhere where you can put flesh i Mm -hmm. think um lots of blending like lots of mixing of colors like the muzzle of the manticore is rakoth flesh in mixed with gray and lots of different gradients Mm. the eyes are bright blue that helps kind of add a different color that is actually close enough to white that it doesn't distract from the black, which yeah, yeah. is kind of a different thing. Whereas if the eyes were bright red to go with the corn, it would make the whole thing feel warmer. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, mixing gray with Rakoth, Rakoth's quite warm. Uh, well, it's, it's, excuse me. Rakoth is warm white. Warm white. Uh, yeah. But mix it with a bit of gray. I don't know what, what gray you use at Celestra. Um, it's mixed actually with um, Skaven Blight Storm Vermin Fur. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And Skaven Black Dinge. Oh, interesting. Um, but basically every material on that manticore has every different form of black on it has a different sort of color tree. Mm. So for its body, for the fur, there's a lot of it's, it's through the kind of slightly beige range. So there's a lot of mixing. There's very little using things out directly out of the pot, but from it's from a very dark mix of Abbott and Black and, uh, Skaven Black Dinge mixed up to i think dawnstone which is in the kind of slightly creamier gray Mm. kind of territory however for the um for it it has like a scorpion tail and for the uh pinions on the wings like the kind of anything that would be kind of leathery or uh, a different color it actually mixes up towards blue right um they start with pure abaddon black and go up towards um uh, like uh, Esh, uh, not ashen gray uh, fenris fenrisian gray mm. like those kinds of colors and then the final on all of those parts the final part of it is a very thin mix of ard coat and lamium medium okay which helps create a kind of shiny thing mm. and that helps create a material distinction between fur like black fur which highlights up towards a warmer gray mm. and sort of um barbed or kind of leathery mutant wings and tails for the manticore which are in a kind of shinier slicker colder blue yeah and that was sort of where combined two different kinds of black 
And then for his armor, there's actually loads going on with his armor. He's magnetized as well, so I can swap him out for a sorcerer at some point. Nice. But like, um, for his armor and his sword, which also has similar kind of blue black thing, um, I wanted to avoid, um, like the obvious thing to do with a black knight is to give him black armor. Mm. But actually what I ended up doing was giving him very dull iron armor and a black helmet, which helps sell that kind of effect, but mm. without, without, while still making him pop from the mouth. Yeah. I was going to say, cause it, otherwise you risk losing him, I suppose. Yeah. Like really you want honest. the rider cause if he's so much smaller than the mount, yeah. you still stand out. So, and, um, and so the, um, the armor is actually way more complicated than it needs to be. There's, mm. there's, um, it's lead belcher washed with both non oil glass and agrax, then low shaded with a mix of lamia medium and doom ball brown mm. and high shade and high shaded highlighted yeah. or like almost high shaded yeah. with a mix of lamia medium and thun- and thunderhawk blue because traditionally chrome splits between a brown and a blue gradient right so it's a brown blue gradient created on top of a metal base coat mm, okay. which kind of creates a l- little bit more of a kind of vibrant metal effect mm. it doesn't actually come across so much in the in the final version because he's so overwhelmed by his mount but i'm really pleased with the overall effect like um i thought it, like um it was kind of a cool character in my head and like actually surprisingly quick to play, paint because mm. like you've encountered with the star trek big models go quickly they do yeah i think it's just it's almost um it seems like the amount of time a model takes to paint is more to do with the number of techniques involved rather mm. than the actual size of the thing itself. So a Star Drake where it's just draw a dry brush load of stuff, that one technique is actually quite quick. Uh, so smaller models with lots of different techniques, lots of different materials, that's what actually really takes the time. Yeah, because there's, there's relatively few materials on that manticore it's just yeah. that each of them took a bit of consideration to figure out how to do mm. then the actual execution is often not as bad as it yeah might, yeah i think uh, um, my friend uh chimp is painting is assembling the gash and uh he's he's slightly terrified <laughs> it's like the biggest model and it's an amazing model as well yeah like, it's so so good but i i i'm interested to see how he goes with it because i, I think like once he starts um there's this spirits like as a an orrery of spirits <laughs> that holds Nagash aloft. Don't at me. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, an orrery of spirits that holds Nagash aloft, and uh, that requires lots of blending into his cape and stuff, and that is difficult. But I reckon that the rest of it is probably not too bad. Mm. But if you just dry brushing up some bones, you know, that's not too bad. It's no. Not too bad. Um, but yeah, super rewarding. I'm looking forward to getting them into a, getting them into a game. Like yeah, I've got yeah. about a thousand points of corn mixed leadership, not for match play, but for open play now. Yeah, so right. that's really That'd really be cool. fun at some point. Really, really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my tip for this week, this month is simply think about materials mm. and think about surfaces and, and kind of texture because that can allow you to do a lot with a single base coat color, yeah. which again allows you to make a much more impressive progress much more quickly. Like I'm, I'm, I've obviously done a bunch of Brimstone Horrors, but I've also made quite a substantial progress on 30 Zangor, which yeah. speaking of lots of stages, mm. it's going to take probably the better part of this month to finish. But like, it's made such a big difference planning out those schemes in advance and thinking a lot about materials. Like you've seen, I guess where I've gone. Yeah, yeah. So I I really like the idea of uh, mixing gloss norm with color. That's a cool uh, yeah I've technique. Done magic weapons by using uh, in successive stages, um, Waywatcher Green and non oil gloss, mm. which creates really nice light 
dark Stuck. overlapping but a little bit of you still, you still get that reflectiveness from um metallic paint gloss, yeah. comes through uh comes through shade and it comes through gloss even more like i don't know i really like gloss shade <laughs> me too yeah gloss shade has been one of my big kind of wins this month yeah we yeah. used sparingly but like yeah that was a big point the manticore right like by it allows you to create distinctions in texture between mm. armor and fur or whatever and that but it doesn't look ridiculous like uh, if you put a hard hard coat on it it would look just way too much. You have to be very careful with our current. Yeah. Like, yeah. it can create a good effect, but you have to not, never do it undiluted. I think I made that mistake with my Harlequins from right. Shadow War, yeah. which I think looked good, but mm. like, uh, I should have diluted it. And that's, yeah. Dilute your hard coat, but consider mm. what, what gloss can do for you. <laughs> so let's talk about the game we played this afternoon, Tom. We did a very dramatic battle. In the Star Wars universe. In the Star Wars universe. So there's a bunch of things to say up front about this. One is obviously that I, Chris, have to give a bit of a disclaimer when we talk about this. We're about to talk about Star Wars Legion, which mm. I wanted us to talk about because it's a new war game. came out last month. I think it's very relevant to this pod. Um, relevant to both of us. However, uh, it is specifically relevant to me because I did some work in the marketing campaign for this game. I produced and wrote and presented a series of videos for the launch week of the game uh for the fantasy flight games youtube channel that went up in late march uh and so i say that up front because obviously uh, i think i mentioned it on the podcast before but obviously that has a bearing on how you should receive everything i say like i like the game i do and i feel like i can give um a reasoned assessment of it you know critical and positive but i just want to be completely upfront about that basically like you know i have been a uh a, a paid spokesperson for the game so you know i kind of for that reason i kind of want i'm kind of that's why i'm interested in your impressions of it tom to some extent i tom can say anything i want about this <laughs> yeah game. exactly but so free, i'm free to rage indeed and i'm you know um i'm kind of looking forward to talking to you about it because i think you know i think it'd be a shame not to discuss it well. i agree it's it's super interesting and it kind of blends a lot of different wargaming systems and it's, it's a very good counterpoint to aos and warhammer generally i think as well in terms of in design terms yeah totally it's very um uh, yeah, there's lots of things about it that I I, I really like, and I think I, I'm glad that um, I think it's very hard for. I mean, it's not that other games haven't come along that have successfully challenged Games Workshop's monopoly over this particular type of game, hmm. but um, you know they tend to be kind of niche to some extent, um, or they tend to re- I guess like um, things like War Machine tend to have relied on um pursuing a different audience. I think this being a Star Wars game is an opportunity for there to be meaningful competition. Um, which is only healthy, yeah. in my opinion. So, sure. yeah, I'd like to talk about that. I guess the other side of this is that because this uh, game that we played was, uh, to a great extent, me introducing you to the game, mm. Tom, that means that we probably won't do, like, a battle report in the traditional sense because, you know, we weren't... It wasn't, like, a blow-by-blow blow kind of completely even competition, let's say. Mm. <laughs> like, I've been, you know, pretty familiar with this game and its rules for a couple of months now mm. whereas obviously this was your first experience of it which is again another good reason to get your first impressions of it so let's do that let's do yeah and I, I, the game gave me everything I, I enjoy about war game like maneuver maneuvering is important positioning is important objective capture i was still in the game till the very end and yeah. it's actually very close and interesting lots of interesting decisions um my first impression is that it on in one sense declutters war games and then in another sense 
adds loads of clutter to <laughs> war games. Yeah, right. Which is really interesting. So uh, the, the one thing I really like about it, I, I, I like the activation system, and we'll get in, we'll describe it in a moment. Uh, but I think the key reason it's, I like it compared to Warhammer is that it keeps both players in the game all the time. Yeah. And it's a, a very quick back and forth. Instead of just like someone doing their turn for half an hour, you doing your turn for half an hour, um, which uh, Warhammer can get get a little bit like that. Uh, so the order system is very interesting. Uh, so it's quite hard to describe. Like a lot of this game is hard to describe yeah. but when you kind of experience it. It's a lot more simple. So I feel my, my role here is going to be to kind of explain some of these systems. Yeah. Because I think maybe we're best talking off, talking initially about systems that mm. we like. So the, the sort of order slash initiative activation system is some, it's, it's original in a bunch of ways. It's a little bit like bolt action, yeah. which has this sort of I go, you go variable activation thing. Um, but the, the long and short of it is, each of your units has a corresponding uh, token, not for that unit specifically, but that for unit type. So um, I'm going to talk in vague terms, but like imagine you have a token that represents commanders and a token that represents vehicles and a token that represents troops. Ooh. They don't have those exact terms, but you get the idea. And you have one of these appropriate tokens for every unit in your army. And they initially form a pool of face down identical tokens. Uh, during the first phase of a given round, you draw, um, you, you choose a, uh, command card from a pre-built hand of command cards and, uh, simultaneously reveal it with your opponent. Um, and those command cards, some of them are generic, some of them are based on the specific leader. So Darth Vader for you, Tom playing as the Empire, mm. Luke Skywalker for me playing as the Rebels. Um, and that command card has some, they can have special abilities, but the simple version is it determines initiative because some command cards are faster and some are slower. And it also determines how many units can, in the command phase of the game, be assigned a face-up order token. And what that means is you, let's say you play a slow card that allows you to give orders to three units. You then give pick three units within a certain range of your commander, which makes commanders important in, rather than just for their own abilities, but for the uh, your ability to control your own troops. And you assign those units tokens directly. And you take their their tokens out of the pool and you put them next to the unit physically. Um, what that then means is when it is your turn to activate a unit and players take it in turns to pick a unit to activate, you can either pick one of the units that you've assigned a order token to or draw at random from the pool. And so all of your units will activate mm. every turn. But what this means is by through the command card system, uh, basically, I guess the long and short of it is in a given round, you choose whether you ha- want more control over which order your units activate in mm. or faster initiative. Yep. And that is at its basic level. And there's tons of other rules that maybe complicate this or special abilities that bounce off this. But at its fundamental level, that is a really interesting tension. Yep. So uh, the ambush card, for example, uh, is very like high initiative i don't know uh it's, it's the like, fastest, it's the fastest if, one yeah short of one upgrade that's coming in the han solo expansion yeah it's yeah so um you if you're in a in a situation where you just need a unit to do something before the opponent you're going to be playing the ambush card and you're going to be getting that one unit activation hopefully before the opponent unless they also play an ambush in which case it's know, a roll off it's a roll off uh and that's that's super interesting and super cool and i like the sort of uh there's a lot of variation that you can build into that system and lots of different ways of kind of expanding it with future expansions and card packs and stuff. And like also that. it's worth say, stressing, uh, you build a command hand hmm. cards wise of seven cards, but there are only ever six rounds in a game. And with the exception of one 
rubbish card called Standing Orders, whenever you've used a command card, it is then discarded for the rest of the game. Yeah. So you, uh, that creates a back and forth with your opponent. Whereas when you know the game a little bit better, a little bit like Shadespire or another system we like, if I know you have already played your fast initiative cards, right. I know I can probably underbid you. Yeah. For example. So mm-hmm. that creates a kind of, uh, interesting, uh, strategic, back and forth from the first round of the game hmm. i'm guessing you can't take duplicates as well so you can't have like no seven ambushes <laughs> just no uh, you can't have any duplicates uh, so yeah that, that's really cool and that's an interesting sort of pacing to the game as well because uh you kind of in the, at the start of the game you're trying to get into position so you might be playing slower cards that mean you're guaranteed to move certain number of units uh, but then you're making decisive strikes and there's a lot of kind of strategic thought that goes into that. And uh, it's back and forth as well. The, the game's really interactive and uh, between the two players, I mean, um, there's a lot of modifiers and kind of back and forth that goes into the the unit dice that I think could yeah. probably be streamlined. Uh, but fundamentally that you're always dicing off with your opponent, you're always talking and it's actually, I think it's a very sociable war game actually. It's, mm. I really like that aspect of it. Yeah, and there's, um, we don't want to get into like the weeds too much on exactly how all the rules work, yeah. but it's got a good, um, like there's, there, are, there's really important clarity around things like cover. Yeah. Really appreciate um, that. Like yeah. it's a really, this is one of the things I think one of the ways it declutters war games Correct. is, um, it has very clear line of sight and cover rules. Mm. And particularly because it does something that I think, um, some elegant little bits of rule writing that I think, uh, Warhammer could learn from, like, so your units of troops, for example, have a unit leader. Um, their position is the one that ultimately matters. Mm. Everyone else is, it has to be placed in cohesion with them. But when you move, you move that model and then replace everything else in cohesion. Yeah. And the cohesion rule is a lot more uh, tighter than Warhammer's. You can't do the kind of, it's, it's basically everyone within a certain range of the leader, not everyone within a certain range of someone else from the unit. Mm. So you can't daisy chain in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And that means that that speeds things up because it means that you use templates for everything a little bit like X-Wing, but like, when you're moving a unit leader, you just move the unit leader and then you replace everybody else in cohesion hmm. and it speeds things up. But it also means that for, like we've been saying before, I think in the context of playing games of Warhammer, um, talking to your opponent is really important. Establishing intent is really important. Yeah. Like I am moving to this range. Do you agree that I am moving to this range? For sure. hmm. It helps with that because <laughs> the rules themselves are kind of based that way. So like an example is if you, uh, cover is super important. Cover is a big part of the game, hmm. which I like because it makes terrain feel very uh important mm. i think maybe that's one of the things that um i feel like when you and i've played eighth edition 40k we've used almost like common sense terrain rules rather than the actual terrain rules really true uh which make it really hard to get cover whereas yeah. legion is very much a game built around cover but there it's very clear about how that works mm. so for example if your unit is if your unit is obscured by waist high cover that grants you a certain benefit on defense um however if your unit leader isn't touching cover then that cover also counts as cover for your opponent as well, because having to shoot past an obstacle. Yeah. However, if your unit leader is in base-to-base contact with the waist-high cover in question, then it doesn't count as cover for your opponent, because the notion is that they can pop up to fire over it. Mm. And that is a super clear ruling that makes that interaction feel very sensible. It feels yeah. more like a video game at that point. Like It feels like the XCOM thing of like, okay, I have this cover now, and that is unambiguous. It's binary, isn't it? It's yeah. just either it is or it isn't, and that's the rule. And there's no, I mean, it's always, um, it can get tricky when you're saying, oh, half the model must be visible. That can get like weird. But, um, between two, you know, uh, sensible people, you're going to be fine with that yeah. rule set. Whereas 40k, there's so much wiggle room in the way that, it, I mean, the new edition is better at this, but it's still not 
quite clear enough to stop arguments from happening right yeah and uh, it's, it's like it's not an accident that the legion core set comes with a stack of waist high barricades because mm. it's so central to the game for sure yeah and um, yeah the cover rules are really nice i really like the movement system so the movement rulers you get are kind of flexible they've got a joint in them uh and there's kind of preset movement type so you've got like a slow medium and quick basically basically yeah uh, and everything in the game i assume basically fits into that yeah uh, that's it that is super good and uh really really clear uh, this sort of removes loads of the ambiguity around moving as well uh, and also it's just as you said incredibly quick it's really really simple to move troops around the board in a way yeah. that it's trickier in aos and it, other skirmishes. it's interesting because and i think this is maybe where like um so in that sense, it does declutter. Like, and I know for a fact, and I think maybe this is even one of the videos we produced, that when they were building the game, playtesting it, kind of coming up with it, it did initially use D6s and mm. tape measures, like Warhammer does. Yeah. And then basically they simplified that down to certain kind of standards for slow, medium, fast, etc. Yeah. And actually, to be honest, both Age of Sigmar and 40k secretly work that way. Like, there are gradations, yeah. but um, broadly speaking, you know, slow is four inches medium is five to six inches mm. fast is eight inches plus for like most things in the game yeah that's true um and so you could just simplify it in that way mm. however like uh and maybe this will move on to the way at which it reclutters things mm. because of the desire the desire to move away from d6s and take measures towards bespoke rulers and bespoke dice and bespoke tokens it ends up introducing a whole different kind of complexity in the form of endless iconography. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, so I think my core problem as a first impression with the game is that I like the tiers of probability that exist for units that are in cover or out of cover or pinned down. Um, those, the tiers are really well defined and, and, and interesting and it's, and the game should have that uh, tier system. Whereas for example, if you've got, a unit in cover and you, you get two activations in each two sort of moves that each unit can make in each turn so they can hunker down or they can aim and then shoot so you can move into cover and then sort of hunker down if you want to um, and that has an effect on the dice that happen uh, so the, the gradients of chance in that system within that system are good but the way that it's communicated i don't think is very good uh, in terms of you have many different counters on a thing that are affecting different types of dice in different ways. Mm. And you're constantly cross-referencing dice symbols with uh, token symbols with symbols on the cards. And that is super like that's, I think they could streamline that a lot more and keep the same tiers of chance. I think it's, it's interesting because it's, this is like very typical of the way fantasy fight design games mm. relative to games workshop. Um, you know, I, when we were playing, I found myself explaining things to you in terms of like this particular, uh, there are basically like three different types of dice for attacking and defending and they go white, red, black, mm. where white is the worst and black is the best. And that basically means essentially five up, four up, three up yeah. in every case. Um, but rather than rolling the same dice with different targets, mm. you roll different dice. Um, which, and there are some other complicating factors, which is both, it is, I, I get exactly what you mean. It's both more and less complicated. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's easier to visualize the dice pool you need to construct because it says right there on the weapon, this weapon rolls, uh, two red dice and a black dice or mm. whatever, right? Um, but it's also 
like something you need to understand. Like, you know, it, I've, I've taught multiple people to play the game now mm. and I've written tutorials for the game. So I kind of get how this feels. And like, it's sort of, you get that thing of as soon as you know what everything means, it progresses very smoothly. Yeah. Um, and I think you mentioned this when we were done playing, but like you roll far fewer dice than you do in Warhammer. That's what I like about it. But yeah, you're right. The mm. iconography, like it's, it's an extra thing you have to learn. Mm. Everyone knows whether or not a dice rolled more than a four. It's whether or not something is a hit or a crit and what that means or a surge and what that, how that converts into a result. Yeah. All that stuff is like super easy when you know it, but it creates, I think, a knowledge barrier on the way in. Yeah, for sure. And it kind of decentralizes modifiers. Uh, yeah, the whole system decentralizes modifiers and modifiers are essential to the game. It seems like it's, it's about, uh, taking that activation to aim before you shoot. So you get the modifiers in that this sense yeah. is quite like X, uh, X wing as well. I yes. Yeah. Um, so it's about kind of maximizing your efficiency in the right places. Um, but there must be a way to do that in a centralized dice system where, which I mean, Warhammer does this well, plus, plus one, minus one modifiers and just listing that stuff is, is, yeah, quite I good. think, I think they, they end up in different realms, realms of complexity, which mm. I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, so, um, one of the systems I, I like in Legion is the suppression system. Mm. Um, so actually the thing Legion reminds me the most of, and I, I appreciate that I haven't played bolt action. So maybe it's like I'm doing some kind of bad, um, sort of roundabout family tree of war game design thing here mm. but it kind of reminds me of company of heroes yeah i was thinking that as well uh, the video game company of heroes. yeah definitely suppression is very similar to company of heroes yeah, yeah in terms of uh and I, I appreciate like you know it feels like at its core even though obviously there are heroes and vehicles and things it feels like at its core it is a infantry combat game mm. um about you know uh taking advantage of cover strategic positioning and that kind of thing and so the suppression system is something that I find really interesting. Um, and it, from a design point of view, it's interesting to talk about how this would apply to Warhammer, how you would create the same thing in Warhammer without creating a problem. Mm. So the suppression system is this. When a unit uh, is targeted by a ranged attack, um, or after that ranged attack is resolved, regardless of whether or not it was successful in dealing damage, um, if it's a troops unit, basically, it receives a suppression token. Uh, so it, basically, if it's not a vehicle. Yeah. Vehicles don't deal with suppression. They have some other things. Um, if a unit is suppressed, when it activates, it rolls the worst kind of defense dice. So a five up basically mm. for every suppression token that it has. And for every uh, success, every five up success or equivalent, it removes one of the suppression tokens. However, then you figure out how many are left. And if it has, if the number of suppression tokens equals or exceeds its suppression threshold, which for the kind of generic troops of the game is one. So if it has one left, it loses one of its two actions. So suddenly you can attack, but not aim, or you can move, but not dodge, yeah. et cetera, um, which is really big. It really eats interaction efficiency, which is very X-Wing. Mm. It's very equivalent to stress in X-Wing where you take oh, away, yeah. taking away actions, although it's, it's, it's less extreme. It's got more gran- granularity than stress, but it's a similar kind of idea. Mm. Um, um, if the number is double your stress, stress threshold, and there isn't a commander nearby, that unit then runs the risk of breaking or panicking, at which point the only thing they're allowed to do is move as fast as they can towards the board edge. Mm. So it's your morale system built into a kind of uh, efficiency mitigation system, um, which is 
really interesting. It means that there is a point shooting at a unit, even if they're in heavy cover and have all sorts of defensive mods. Yeah. Because you can potentially, if you, for example, bid quicker on the initiative, you have a chance at really fucking up their action efficiency, mm. which is very X-Wing. It feels very, that whole, that one system seems to exist in this kind of like quantum state between how X-Wing is designed and how Warhammer is designed. Yeah, yeah. But what's really interesting is all of that kind of sometimes confusing token business, uh, the activation business, um, that they're applying and, and removing different tokens whose use isn't necessarily always obvious, mm. uh, works very well with that system. So losing an action, which is the sort of basic thing that happens with suppression is really big because it means you don't get to take your dice modifying things. Yeah. Whereas, um, like, in Warhammer, I guess that would have to be like apply minus one to hit or something. Mm. But that then interacts with Warhammer's strategic sandbox in a way that's vastly complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly things that trigger on sixes don't work anymore. Mm. Suddenly, um, you know, or, or even, you know, if it was, if it was like minus one to wound, then suddenly in, in 40k specifically where thresholds are so important, yeah. that changes the effective strength values of like every weapon in the game. Mm. Whereas, even though I totally get that Legion's action system is more complicated in the moment when you're learning it, it allows for that, I think. I think trying to create the same effect in, in 40k or Age of Sigma would be enormously complicated. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a mistake to have them flee towards the nearest board edge. Yeah. But that would create some natural situations where you're actually falling back towards enemies um, on occasions. Right, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, because I actually um, had a scenario where I, f- uh, I, w- I fell back to the position I wanted to move them in anyway, <laughs> uh, which mm. is odd. Uh, it should, they should fall back away from the enemy, the thing shooting them probably. Uh, it's, that, that creates some rules complexity because, you know, what's, what does away mean? But mm. it feels like it's a little bit, a little bit more natural. Uh, yeah. But the suppression system is very good. It's interesting to point back on people heroes because I actually, I actually did think that halfway through the game. I thought, oh, I, I, I want to throw a grenade into that cover yeah. zone right and i think grenades are in the game aren't yes they, they are yeah uh, you should, i didn't add them because i didn't want to give us too many complicated, extra complicated yeah, upgrades yeah. but yeah but um the the cover um and cover counter system in couple of heroes is one of the most elegant and uh brilliant pieces of rts design in video games and anything that kind of tries to replicate that i mean maybe maybe bolt action does this because i've not actually played bolt action uh, because that also seems to be very much a game about getting up against walls and kind of getting flanking moves and yeah and disrupting cover uh, but the, and also the the ratio between infantry and armor is very similar to Company of Heroes as well in terms of uh, you've got very specified types of damage in Legion where uh, you're uh, you, there's certain stuff that is just anti-vehicle and uh, none of your other infantry stuff is really going to damage vehicles at all. So it's about having I, I really like that having very specialized weapons that are very good against one thing because that makes maneuvering them into position interesting and essential to actually capturing. Yeah. Um, so there's there's loads of stuff I like about it. And, and AOS doesn't really have that in the same way. Like, um, in 40k, you've got like armor piercing and stuff. Mm. Uh, but there's a problem. I'm not sure if it's a problem. In the AOS and uh, 40k, you can mega dice stuff off. You can get just a billion cultists and double their attacks and roll 200 dice at a tank. Yeah. And they can fuck it up. Uh, that's not how tanks work. <laughs> I like the idea that, uh, vehicles in Legion and, in, you know, a lot of other game systems, uh, small arms fire is not going to hurt them and you're going to have to actually get the right weapon in the right place to deal damage to that thing that's a good strategic challenge to yeah face. it's interesting like the there's 
Legion, despite being called Legion and despite being uh, sort of, I guess, the closest fantasy I've come to kind of building a challenge at 40k, mm. it's a sci-fi war game about armies clashing, um, does have smaller unit counts. Mm. Like your troops choices can't go above six models. Um, you're pretty limited in the amount of special weapons you can bring. There is inherently baked into the rules as they exist at the moment. Not a lot of min-maxing. It's a skirmish game, really. Mm. Like, it's a yep. mid-sized um, war game, I'd say. Mm. Like, it's... You absolutely pl- can play up to a very high number of models, but the way, even the way the command card system works is kind of designed with the idea that you're probably never going to have more than, like, eight units. Mm. Even at... Um, so, to give you some context, Tom, because I appreciate... We just played with the contents of the core set. Yeah. Um, uh, which I think is probably about the equivalent of two... Warhammer start collecting boxes fighting each other. Mm. Um, more balanced than that might be because then they vary enormously, but like yeah. the equivalent of like, um, hero, two troops and a thing, a vehicle of some kind. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, a full game of, of kind of the kind of competitive points limit is about double that. Okay. Maybe double that and a bit. Yeah. Depends exactly on what you take, mm. but like, um, you know, we played, I, I set us up with a four foot by three foot board. The, uh, standard Legion competitive size is six foot by three foot. So not that much bigger. Yeah. So, you know, we were, we were in the ballpark of what, you know, not miles away from what a full game might look like. Mm-hmm. Whereas Warhammer is designed to scale like all the way up to yeah, yeah. 3000 point afternoon spanning mega games. Mm. And that's, I think a big difference. Like, you know, like Company of Heroes, which was like, you know, in a, in a, in a world of total annihilation, command and conquer, the game that sort of said, what if squads fighting each other had lots of room for interesting maneuvering? Uh, it feels like almost that is a scale difference. Yeah, well. that's interesting. Uh, yeah, that, that is interesting. They move like the squad movement as well is just like Company of Heroes. Yeah. It's, it's really similar. It's weird. Like they, uh, maybe that's. Company of Heroes is ripping off war game design or I don't yeah, know. I think like, so. Yeah. Like chicken um, and egg, isn't it? This is why I kind of, my, my lack of, um, experience with bolt action feels like a, cause given the bolt action is a, uh, world war two infantry centric mm. strategy game, a uh, tabletop game. I sort of feel like that might have been a, the you know, basically I, I, like... I can kind of imagine the listener gritting their teeth. <laughs> the fact that we are comparing Legion to company of heroes. Yeah, so we yeah. should be comparing it to bolt action. Yeah. Yeah. But I think actually one thing I like about that is, um, for me, I feel like Legion has a place in the kind of list of war games that I play mm. because the scale is slightly more manageable than 40k mm. or Age of Sigmar. Um, you know, it exists and, and the, you know, the goal is slightly different as well. Like, so it feels like, um, between Shadespire and, uh, maybe this and then Warhammer, there's sort of a gradation of experience. Like, I think, I think Legion offers more interesting tactical variety with a small number of units yeah, than maybe the equivalent 500 point game of age of sigma would mm. if that makes sense yeah yeah the units um specialize in interesting ways as well uh which i like in a way that for example a load of liberators can't uh, you know like a, a liberator liberator judicator can shoot but they're all basically just two wound four plus save things um whereas in legion the troops are kind of uh what troops can accomplish is that's an interesting uh, yeah. balance threshold. Whereas like, it's kind of hard for, it felt kind of hard for troops to get things done decisively. Mm. It feels like um, they're, they're not really going to wipe anything out quickly. This is that they're there to suppress. They're there to sort of just 
uh, almost just fill the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that's an interesting contrast to AOS where um, units are, you know, you're looking for big punches that wipe stuff out and it's much more decisive and dramatic in that way, but also much more dicey and there's a lot more variance in that system. Whereas it feels like Legion, fairly consistent damage output from units, so it's more predictable in that way. Mm. Uh, and Heroes are very decisive. So they've, they've packaged all of the decisive super wipe out stuff onto Darth Vader onto Luke Skywalker. Yeah, which felt very appropriate. And that's mm. really interesting. Like I found that like because obviously the I have you know the big advantage I came into our game with um and actually like um was I know some I have a sense of those probabilities because I've played more games. Right. It's just based mm. on experience. Like I know a little bit more about what to expect, when to aim, when to dodge with yeah. troops. And I can plan ahead a little bit further because of that. Um and you know, one of the ways that the corset is balanced is in combat, Darth Vader is the scariest thing in the game. Mm. There's really nothing that can stand against him. And that's appropriate to yeah. the story and the fiction. However, Darth Vader is slow. It takes a while to get into combat. He doesn't charge or leap or jump. Luke can do those things. Mm. Um, and that's appropriate as well. Like, you know, um, I like that it doesn't quite you know, even though it is a game, it doesn't quite get into the kind of video game force, which is something Star Wars as a whole enterprise is moving away from. Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons The Last Jedi has a very different idea about the force. You know, uh, Pablo Hidalgo, who's LucasArts, uh, sorry, Lucasfilm's head of story group, um, or was, I think he still is, um, tweeted something really nice recently, which was that, um, maybe slightly off topic, but that, um, he, you know, that like in Star Wars in the original trilogy, the force was never a series of video game powers that you unlock. Right. It's, you know, it's far more spiritual than that. And that's the thing Star Wars should be moving back to. People get frustrated with the way they see the force being used in the new movies because it doesn't cohere with a very, very video game interpretation of, of force power as it exists in the prequel movies mm -hmm. and in the video games. Um, and I like the fact that Legion doesn't turn Vader into a leaping kind of teleporting um, magic man yeah. in the way that like for example the battlefront video games have mm -hmm. where he can just jump and charge and run like vader is a kind like more like the end of rogue one he is a, <laughs> a juggernaut that marches towards towards you deflecting blaster bolts as he goes he's very hard to stop and if he gets into range in a game where you know uh two tr squads of troopers in cover exchanging gunfire will result in one casualty each per turn yeah. vader getting into melee combat is a dead squad mm. like an you know or a dead tank or a dead any you know, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. but it's about getting him there which is a good trade-off right like, yeah absolutely um whereas luke is has is worse at everything but more flexible mm. which is appropriate as well and one of the things that like that means is and luke and vader are two of the only units that can really counter each other's attacks because they each have lightsabers yeah so there's this kind of interesting balance and i knew how to kind of leverage that against you to use a combination of timing and command cards and things to basically wipe out Vader with Luke yeah. before anything could happen. But long story short, that meant that the onus for heroic action in that game fell to Luke. Hmm. I couldn't rely on, on something equivalent to like, I just pulled out D6 mortal wounds from this troops unit sure. to kill Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah. Like it kind of has to be Luke that hmm. takes him out. It can be done otherwise. Like hmm. you can whittle him down. You can cause problems for him. You know what I mean? But you, like the only, the only kind of 
delete this hero button is another hero, which is a way that Warhammer isn't necessarily balanced. Yes. And, and that, that has good consequences for Warhammer as well. Like Warhammer can have the hero troops unit that holds on, wins the game for you in a way that I don't think Legion really can. Mm. But I quite like that those heroic moments tend to settle around those characters. Yes. Yeah, it's it's like, not that one is good or bad or the, the other is yeah. worse than the other. It's just, it's a very different design approach to it. Uh, and I think there's, Legion does eliminate a lot of the bad feelings that dice make happen sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, uh, if, if you can put a unit of formators or a very powerful unit into something or your general and you can totally whiff the dice and that feels really bad. Uh, whereas Legion you can whiff, but it doesn't like, it, it, the dice do seem more consistent to me. The system they created seems like more consistent. I think it might obfuscate the results a little bit as well while you're learning it. Yeah, maybe that's it as well. It's like you, you don't think, oh, I've failed. That should have been three two plus rolls. I should have got an X. You well, know? we had a, we had a turn. Like the perfect example of this. We had a turn where the turn where I kind of did my Luke Skywalker play, mm. which took Darth Vader out of action. Um, when units are engaged with each other in melee combat, uh, they can't be targeted by ranged attacks. Yeah, by either side. Um, but I knew that because I took out Darth Vader in melee combat, that that would then expose Luke to your, you know, completely out in the open mm. to your stormtroopers. He had a dodge token, which is an important thing. Um, and functionally, I then ended up in a situation where I rolled, if it was Warhammer, I would have rolled six saves, six three up saves, mm. where every six reflects a mortal wound. To reflect the light type of deflecting blast balls. Yeah. That is mathematically what happened. Yeah. And what I rolled was, uh, I, uh, I rolled five successes, one failure and one six, basically equivalent. Mm. So I deflected a mortal wound back and I took one damage, which is only slightly above average. Like it is above average. Like really I should have failed two. I should have taken two damage because mm. it's six, three ups, right? So we're talking pure law of averages. Um, and the fact that that didn't happen is lucky, but actually in the moment, you really didn't have much of a sense of how lucky I had got mm. because I'm relying on dice symbols that yes. are not traditional numbers. Yep. Like when we sat down and looked at it, it's like, I got lucky, but not like mega lucky. Mm. Like I could have, you know what I mean? It was just like, this is about right. Yeah. yeah. But you're still learning that. And so I think they both obfuscate the dice in a way that makes it feel less bad, mm. but also maybe make it take longer to, under- to gauge what is, what you can expect from yeah. a given round of shooting for example. yeah that's interesting i think also just having one roll uh on the attack instead of the the tiered rolls that warhammer has yeah there's no wound roll exactly is- so yeah so um of course warhammer you're wrong to hit then you're wrong to wound then modifiers then saves um whereas this is just like one roll and i like the elegance of that and i think that's a good way to stand out from warhammer the interactions between um troops attacking one another are very fast but it still builds in a lot of complexity and modification and lots of kind of gradation of cover and uh, yeah, like cover. Else? If if an infantry unit is in cover, it just cancels two hit results. Yeah, outright. yeah, that's really elegant. I, th- I think that's there's there's stuff I really like about it, but it's still it's almost the way it's communicated to you through tokens and through yeah. just bits and pieces that uh, that sticks that grates the most for me. Uh, and I'd look forward to playing more of it. And especially with the, I think a slightly larger force, I think <clears throat> the randomization of uh, order draws yeah becomes more significant and i wonder to what extent that feels bad if you if you really want to move something or to what extent it's just fine you, but know? you have control over whether or not you have control over that basically yeah, exactly. so <laughs> yeah. you, you do have a hand in it which i like and um, it's good I, I think um 
it's very f- i like how fast it is as well like we were, we were just learning to play so obviously it's much slower because you're kind of i was getting to grips with the system and stuff but it's still what how much long would it take like two hours two hours something like that yeah so you could play you could play a game in an hour i think if you if you were well versed in it which bodes well for tournament players yeah with the corset yeah if if that's where they want to go um there's a there are a lot of cards (laughs) there are a lot of um every unit has a card and there are like tiny cards for each upgrade they can have and stuff like that. So rather than just having like one wall scroll with everything list on it, you're dealing with loads and loads of cards. And it feels like that's a place where they're going to monetize that. And there are aspects of the game where I worry that it would get super expensive if you start having to swap cards into other sets and stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting. So at the moment, so because I have experienced this firsthand from X-Wing, uh, at the moment... Uh, so for example, they've put out the core sets quite a lot of expansions already. Um, so extra stormtroopers, extra rebel troopers, mm. the ATST, etc. Yeah. Um, the same upgrades come in both the stormtrooper and rebel trooper pack. Mm. So if you get either of them for your chosen faction, you will get the upgrades okay. that That's you good. need. Yeah. Um, that's true at the moment. I can't talk about anything yeah. else, but, but like, um, uh, in that I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. and the, yeah, so the, the, and I can get that concern. And like, I know I have first hand experience from X-Wing that having rules written on cards rather than in codexes can cause complexity when it comes to FAQs and things. Mm. I think there is a benefit to having the rules printed on the tabletop in front of you. There's a lot less flicking between pages or yeah. consulting an app. For sure. Um, however, yeah, I, I, I kind of get why people, um, kind of get nervous about it. The question of cost is an interesting one because so we played with the contents of the core set which is, I think, 80 quid, um, which get, gives you a decent game. Like, you're not going to get a huge amount of variety out of those pieces. That's a good, but, that's a good starting box, definitely. Um, and then the, I think the rest of the expansions and things are, are relatively competitively priced compared to GW stuff. They mm. kind of vary. I think the vehicles are actually quite good value. Mm. Uh, the ATST, which is in the first realm range of expansions, is a poseable model. It's bigger than an Imperial Knight. It's massive. Mm. And it's a really nice. One. It's what I think with the Air Spear, it's my favorite model in the set. And that's nice. pretty competitively priced for a kind of centerpiece yeah, yeah. thing. But maybe as we've, uh, already said, like I th- I, these models, I think for me are more, um, like game pieces than uh sort of display pieces in the way that i would consider my warhammer stuff to be i mean this has been your first impression of them so i'd be interested to see what you thought yeah i do agree with that I, they were actually better than i was expecting them to be um and i really like the sort of the posing on the darth vader that's nice um but uh, there's like it's i think it's helped by the fact that Star Wars as a universe, its iconography isn't super detailed. Uh, um, yeah. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the Imperial armor is a fairly basic geometry and just like flat surfaces and no like filigree or any of the kind of, because uh, it, it really tells that, you know, Giz Workshop is a universe designed for miniatures so that you can inject all that detail into your yeah. sculpts, right? Uh, whereas, of course, the uh, Storm trooper sculpts like you just can't get beyond a certain level of detail with it so you don't necessarily need that the same level of you know mold mold detail on the on this kit uh so i think that they've done a good job uh with the posing because basically that's all you kind of can do with star wars is just get first of all just nail the movie look basic geometry and then get the posing right and, and the posing is pretty good on stormtroopers uh, it's very good on darth vader and luke and yeah i, I mean you're not going to see these miniatures popping up on like the best minis websites you know the painting websites that you know people 
elevate them to incredible standards but it's going to look like star wars and it's going to feel like star wars and it's basically nailed that level of things yeah i actually almost find it like a little bit of a relief so i've only painted <laughs> one model in the set which is vader yeah and um you know maybe continues to the theme of me spending a lot of time painting things that are black this this month but like all i did really was base coat it do a lot of different shades of mixed gray so abbott and black and, and various kinds of mixing in like mechanicus standard gray and things yeah and then shading it with different kinds of shades, so a bit of null oil matte, null oil gloss, odd coat, uh, mixed with lamium medium. I was picking out the details and things, and that was kind of enough. Mm. Like, um, I feel like GW style high contrast highlighting is very much a Warhammer house style thing. Mm. And I think maybe we mentioned this when, when Legion was first announced and before I was working in any way, working anywhere near it. Um, like I don't, for me, Star Wars is something to be adhered to like, a, like again, like bolt action, like a military mm. historical game yeah, rather than just a fantasy game where I, I have my own stamp on it. Right. Like I want things to look appropriate to the films. Mm. So stormtroopers, I'm going to fill in the black and white details and then give them a light gloss with art coat and yeah. probably leave it. Yeah. Like, because that's what stormtroopers look like. They are, you know, the Star Wars tends to be both a, um, a lightly grubby and a muted palette prequels, notwithstanding, mm. um, you know, ev- but even their grubby kind of dented rebel vehicles aren't anywhere near as messed up as your average space Marine tank. No, you're not going to be going crazy with weathering on there or putting rise of rust on your speeders or anything like that. No, And you can see people, you know, and I think, I, I think it's, it's fine to approach them the same way you would a GW miniature, but I just like, for me, I just feel right. And almost that's a relief. Mm. Like I want to get them to the same standard as the average X-wing paint job. You know, I want it to feel atmospheric and functional. Yeah. Yeah. But it's almost nice to have something that doesn't demand the same level of like, I say this as someone who uh, is is painting thirties angle, <laughs> so I know what filigree is like. Yeah. You know what I mean? As a filigree con- hell, yeah. and and the thing is that would look absurd on film. Mm. They're designed for different things. Right, and right. I kind of just want to get a little filmic sense of them. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. I, I felt like the um, Legion did a very good job of communicating the Star Wars universe. I think I think they've done a yeah. very good job of that uh which is great and it did feel really atmospheric. Like uh, obviously they're not all painted up yet. The, the corset, uh, but. Even even then, like stormtroopers look cool. The weapons are well defined, like the special weapons of you know Easter Spot, and you know the, the visual language of the, of the sculpts very clear. Mm. Uh, and I'm not sure what more they could really do with Star Wars than they've already well, done. So. I um, I pretty much don't like every time anyone in any medium have tried to figure out how do we make a stormtrooper just a little bit extra, right? For sure, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Like that way, like, and it's funny because you could argue that your Space Marine. Your Warhammer Space Marine is someone asking the question, how do we make a Star Wars Stormtrooper just a little <laughs> bit more? Yeah, right. Cover him in skulls and make his shoulder pads bigger than his head. Like, yeah. and I love Space Marines. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah. that for me, it's about the appropriateness of the universe. And for like, sure, for sure. And it's, I mean, we talked about this, um, in a podcast last year when we were talking about Warhammer 40,000 8th edition and, uh, the sense that the Primaris Space Marine sculpts were about decluttering Space Marines again so that they could reclutter them for the next decade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so that, that's kind of the, that's the loop that Gabe's workshop is on. Uh, but that's a, a loop that Legion uh, doesn't have to even engage in. Yeah. So having now 
played it is there something that would tempt you to play more i'd certainly play more of it i think it's uh, pretty good actually and there's a lot of interesting sort of meaty tactical goodness to be had in modifications and efficiency and and maneuvering that makes me make makes it good war game good war game good and bad i like it yeah and uh, yeah once again my disclaimer (laughs) yeah yeah uh but no i genuinely do like it like it's one of the reasons i wanted to work on it so i kind of say that from a position of honesty it's like i was excited to do the stuff i ended up doing for the marketing campaign because i genuinely think this is interesting yeah yeah and it can really happily coexist Uh, that's what that's what i like about it it's a it's a it's a great counterpoint to 40k it's a great counterpoint to those other games and it feels different enough to be its own thing and i i would watch people playing it in a tournament setting kind of i would put that on in the background on twitch or whatever you know it's got that quality to it potentially um so yeah yeah hopefully has a good future ahead of it cool one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The codex commandments. <laughs> I've been trying to figure out the version of the, um, of the, like, the Hercules Mulligan introduction where it says, like, it's hard to have sex over four sets of codex. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's um, but it's not there yet. Gonna, uh, it's <laughs> yeah, it's got to that a little bit. It's almost there. Uh, if you're confused about what Tom and I were just talking about, it's because we just took a break (laughs) before doing questions, which we're about to do. Mm. But unfortunately I have introduced to Tom the only question worth answering, Mm. which is how to most accurately write war Hamilton, the Warhammer musical. (laughs) Uh, yeah. I mean, it's probably good that we didn't record what just happened because it was, it was too mind blowing and (laughs) we can't. Uh, Yeah. I I kind of low key revealed Tom that I spent three weeks since I last, since I saw Hamilton, um, trying to write either an Abaddon or Araman musical mm. in my mind, um, which has ruined almost every waking thought I've had. <laughs> <laughs> and now it will ruin mine. Yeah, exactly. So we thought we'd spare you the specifics unless you ask us about it. <laughs> so might be nice. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, um, should we do some questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, Finian Beasley writes, um, hi chaps. I love painting metallics, but most of GW's metallic paints are garbage and can be no better than applying glitter to your models. <laughs> to that end, I decided to give metallic Sharpies a try, especially for doing detail work such as gold trim. It turns out they're brilliant. They go on really good coverage, dry fast and take washes well. Not applicable to all situations, especially large areas. I sort of Chris, I thought of Chris complaining about painting all that zinch filigree. You might want to give it a try. Thanks to the meaty monthly podcast, Finn. So I wouldn't agree that all GW metallics are garbage because I paint with a lot of them. Yeah, gold. They can be finicky though, for sure. Yeah, they're they're quite temperamental, aren't they? You've got to really shake them as well. Like otherwise, who knows what they're going to behave like? Uh, I've heard lots of people talking about sharpies though as a way to. Yeah, after we got this email, um, because it's been a little while ago now, I actually did an experiment with this Mm. on some of my Zangor, and it's okay. But actually, I think, um, and maybe this is just kind of where based on experience but i feel much more comfortable with a brush than a pen hmm. like because a lot of the time you're reaching around details to reach smaller details and pens aren't designed for that they yeah, make chunky yeah. things with big tips like it's okay for some things hmm. it would okay be okay if every model was standing straight upright like an ultramarine with a just shoulder pad trim to do or yeah, something like that it's perfect for that but for reaching around like a brush is better for reaching around hmm. details so hmm. like Sharpies like sound on paper like cheating, but actually I think they make some things harder. Interesting. There are also like acrylic paint pens, which is something I've oh, sort yeah, of considering, right. uh, which oh, yeah. is basically the same thing. But um, 
I certainly think interesting tools like that could have a place, but like, actually, I'm going to stick with a brush. Mm. Um, also, because you can do things like, you know, uh, painting from a weird angle with the edge of a brush, which are much harder to do with a pencil oh, yeah. because of the size of a Sharpie. Just edging and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. <coughs> yeah, but an interesting, an interesting suggestion. I think it depends what armor you're doing, basically. Yeah, I, I could certainly think of some places where there was quite flat filigree on armor plates where <laughs> if uh, you're doing like a matte armor color with the... Uh, Silver edging, that I can imagine that being super convenient. Mm. But uh, yeah, you're right, it depends on the sculpt, doesn't it? It does. Like, yeah. But nonetheless, um, worth considering other tools like that. We've got a big hobby craft that just opened near yeah, us. I do, I was in there last week. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, I built an entire, like, uh, Warmaster set out of some foam board I bought there and some card and some glitter pens. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Warmaster is, uh, like a 2004 big, massive scale war game that, uh, Games Workshop did it's basically like epic but for fantasy Warhammer fantasy yeah i remember it very well yeah and it's, it's supposed to have like a, a really strong rule set and the, the on paper they sound great and so i thought instead of going onto ebay and spending far too much money i'll just cut up some phone boards and then play with this which is actually recommended in the rule book <laughs> which they would not do now but in the rule book it says hey just cut out some bits of cardboard if you want to try this out <laughs> it's actually in the it's in the official warmaster rule book Amazing. which is available online and um it's it's not in print it's not being sculpted so i think i feel all right about uh going and getting that for free but yeah um nonetheless what are we talking about? I don't know. Yeah, I just sort of said that. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of said it. Um, our next question comes from uh, Chris, who writes, Hi, mini butt painters. That's, I think he's referring to the astralling. In fact, yes. um, I would say, so um, I'll put a picture in the show notes, I think, of one of sure? the <laughs> sub-assembly stages of my Chaos Lord on Manticore, oh, okay, just right, to right. save that. Yeah, okay. Uh, because he's magnetized mm. right up his ass. Right. And it's a magnet right up there. So <laughs> to paint him... Um, I glued a magnet to the top of a chopstick. <laughs> so I had a stick to mount him on. Oh no. And so he spent, and now he lives in a, a, a position of relative dignity atop yeah. his mighty manticore steed. The greater part of his painting life was spent, uh, mounted buttwards upon a, a chopstick held in a pint glass, <laughs> which is not like, not the greatest amount of dignity I've ever He should have on. chosen Sigma. He should have done, yeah. I don't think it's a matter of choice. Um, anyway, Chris writes, I've been out of the gaming and collecting side of the Warhammer and 40k hobby for over 10 years, but I still enjoy the fiction, art, and lore that surrounds it. As I have many fond memories of gaming with friends and classmates throughout my teens and early 20s, I've been pondering that perhaps this misspent youth could actually prove to be useful for the old grey future me of 2018. I have two sons. The eldest is almost six and has been diagnosed as high-functioning autistic. For him, this means he has a fantastic memory. His reading, spelling, and vocabulary and maths are way above his classmates. Where he suffers most is in social interaction. He finds it difficult in sharing other children's games, understanding body language and facial expressions, all of which make it hard for him to make or keep a friendship. His hand-eye coordination is rather poor too. Coloring within lines is difficult, but with practice it has improved. So, as an evil husband to a very understanding wife, I brought up the idea of introducing our son to the wargaming hobby as a way for him to meet new people and to learn some social interaction skills, all while having the clearly defined rules of the game to fall back on when he gets stuck for words or does not understand a situation. Maybe he could even prove some of his creative skills by painting miniatures in terrain, or by helping me create and write stories around his favourite characters. Who knows? So I thought I'd pitch it to you as follows. What do you think about a six-year-old getting into wargaming? What is a good age? What positives and negatives could there be for someone with social anxieties and or autism? Do you think that AOS or Shades Bio would be an appropriate introduction to my son, or is it something else more appropriate? 
By the way, he's obsessed with dinosaurs and loves the photos of my old Lizardman army. He really likes flesh-handed corn moles. He saw in Games Workshop store any way of using them in Shadespire. Thanks for the awesome pods, Chris. Hmm. P.S. He writes, Nagash plus Stormcast Eternals equals Necrons. He's not wrong about that. No. Um, So obviously we are not experts. Yes. yes. (laughs) Like, um, anything i have to know anything i have to say about this is purely anecdotal so mm. i want to kind of stress that up front like no substitute for actual guidance by people who know what the fuck they're talking about indeed uh yeah and i think it's a the good thing about this hobby is that there are so many layers investment to it that you can sort of test the waters so yeah you can uh, you can play a casual game just father and son uh, and sort of escalate it in gradual ways. So, uh, um, playing with a friend, then perhaps going to, you know, a so more risky social situation like a shop or something. I mean, you can, there's, there's a ladder there, right? Where you can kind of test things out and see kind of how yeah. someone might respond to different levels of investment. <laughs> I have some first time experience of this because a lot of, um, I have, I know a few people who play X-Wing with their sons. Mm. Um, not, I believe, uh, sons on the spectrum, but, um, nonetheless, I, I've seen how wargaming can be a good way for kids to have a dialogue with adults, uh, based on mutually understood principles, mm-hmm. both in the context of interacting with a stranger across the table, but also actually having something to talk to your parents about that isn't, uh, parent thing versus a kid thing like i think one of the things that i found most charming about watching people play these games with their young sons and daughters is that like actually it's a rare example of something that might not have been that common outside of basically football Mm. a generation ago which is a subject matter where parents and their children have equal interest you know it's not like i as your parent and the figure of authority i'm teaching you this thing it's we share this genuinely Mm. Mm. And that I think can be very good for <clears throat> creating that bond. I think also, uh, like I say, like not an expert on this, but wargaming does provide a, a medium for people to share an interest and share a common set of assumptions about a situation. I think that's just generally useful for people who are anxious socially in any context, yeah. let alone um, on the spectrum in any way does create a framework uh though i mean we, uh, we were discussing earlier in the episodes that it does create um conflict potentially mm. so i think that's something to bear in mind that rules arguments definitely when i was a kid playing warhammer loads of rules arguments all the time it was like loads of that yeah. so uh, that's something to bear in mind especially if youngsters playing uh potentially gonna be getting into loggerheads over certain things and if that's something you're worried about yeah. I would say that, so, yeah, the, the, Chris asked specifically about being able to use Flesh Hounds of Corn in Shadespire. Mm. And actually, the new Corn Warband that is coming out next weekend yeah, yeah. includes a Flesh Hound of Corn. It does. However, I would say that for this purpose, Age of Sigmar is a better choice mm. because you can have, you have more control over the rule set with Age of Sigmar. Yeah. You can make it more or less complicated. You can include more or fewer models. Mm in a way that you can't with Shadespire, which is really quite a tightly designed competitive game and doesn't really work if you start relaxing the rules in that way. For sure. I think Age of Sigmar Skirmish is much more appropriate. Skirmish is a good one. I mean, um, especially if you just embrace the fact that Skirmish is kind of broken as a rule set. It's, it's really good. For, it's not broken is the wrong word. Um, it's 
unbalanced if you treat it as a hardcore competitive thing, but that's not the spirit that is intended to be played with. I mean, skirmish is supposed to be a casual knock around with just a few models and you can make up spells. You can get creative with it. I think with a kid, that'd be a fun yeah. time, you know, and build stories out of it. And that's, that's very low pressure as well. Yeah. And it can build up into the things like, mm. you know, I would say that, um, I would lean on the dinosaur side of things. Like the seraphim start collecting box is super nice. Yeah. Super nice. Big dinosaur to paint. Like that stuff's quite forgiving as well. Yeah. Dry brushes really well. For sure. Um, I think, yeah, I think AOS is, is a good angle here. And like, I think initially it's just a way of having fun and enjoying a hobby. Mm. But if it does mean that, um, people can go into a shop and talk to strangers about a shared interest, that might be helpful socially. Mm. I just, that's the thing I feel less confident saying is definitely the case. For sure. I mean, I think it depends so much on, um, the child specifically and their, how they would react to different situations, which obviously we can't comment on. But, uh, again, it's structured and you can choose the level of structure around it. It's very malleable. It seems like as a social thing, but like you really can define the rules around it and, mm. and behaviors around it. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a, a cool idea. I really agree with you, Chris, about, uh, games like this, giving kids a place where they're equal to parents. Mm. You know? And also I think whenever I played games with uh, my dad and stuff, just having your ideas recognized and enjoyed yeah. by an adult is actually a really positive thing and a really good experience and a confidence building thing as well. And uh, that took that into creating stories around models and around other things with my friends. Like we, a lot of that, the way we entertained ourselves and long, boring uh, afternoons was story generation, basically, and just bouncing off each other and, and you know, making up jokes. I think that those, those things are links to wargaming and to D and a lot of these uh structured social uh things this is kind of like off point but that the gaming is a whole thing is, is super super cool for giving people a way of swapping ideas and bouncing off each other absolutely mm. yeah basically yes <laughs> yes in answer to your question <laughs> yes yes nagash and stormcast would make an acronomy <laughs> uh Next, James writes, Dear Minches Monthly, sitting at my desk on a Saturday, highlighting corn red robes after a wash of non oil, I'm thinking, gosh, if this isn't my happy, hobby happy place. It's not too hard, it looks good, and I can zone out while it almost does the work for me. What mm. is your hobby happy place, chaps, James? I know exactly what he means. I know exactly. Like, you know, when you've got a technique down and you just yeah. do it, and you just see it coming to life before your eyes, and it just looks beautiful every time you do it. It's mm. great. Gold for me, obviously. Yeah. It's an endless gold for Sawcast. <laughs> Always looks good. Uh, getting that, uh, Reichland fresh, flesh shade gloss on it. That uh, fresh shade. Fresh shade. Uh, yeah. Fresh shade. Uh, a fresh shade, a fresh shade. I need to stop writing fucking rap operas about Warhammer. <laughs> Do you though, Chris? No. Do you need to stop? <laughs> Could be great. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I think that's a great thing about, um, or dry brushing the Star Drake as well. It's just, you know, it's not sure about it to start with, but then you just, it's basically like minimum effort, maximum reward at that point because it just sort of comes mm. alive. You don't have to think about it and it just, it feels good. It feels good. I think for me, um, as I think for me, it's gemstones. Mm. Um, I love because usually if I've gotten to the gemstone stage of Zinch model, that means I'm near the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like I've got like, um, I like patterns. I like, uh, alternating what color a gem is on two versions of the same sculpt, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing to kind of create variation within a unit. So it's the maximal, it's a small space, so it's quick. It's maximal 
variation potential. Mm-hmm. It looks good. It's one of those eye-catching things. And there's something really satisfying about base color, little lick of highlight on the bottom, fine highlight on the bottom, mm-hmm. and then a cheeky wink <laughs> of bone or white top right corner closest to the light. And you've got, you've a got yourself a gemstone. Lovely. That <laughs> is good. a good technique. Um, <clears throat> that I think is, yeah, that's a, that's an all around happy place for mm. me, I think. Cause I get, I get like dry brush anxiety, even when I'm doing mm. like big mass stuff like that. I like the finishing touches. Mm. Those are the bits that make me happy. Nice. <clears throat> Next question comes from Kingsley, who writes, Hi, Chris and Tom. Having recently painted up the Shade Spire starter set, I've realized that a pile of skulls or a bit of giant statuary can really make a base more than just a boring circle for minis to stand on. <laughs> I bought a hole punch, which makes little maple leaves out of baking paper, which adds a bit of autumnal color to a base. Mm. This looks pretty good, but still leaves the bases looking kind of flat. What are your favorite additions for spicing up a base? Thanks for dropping those pods. Kingsley. Skulls are amazing. Yeah. I love omni-useful texture unit. Absolutely. And and a, a neutral color that is unlikely to clash with or ruin anything that you particularly yeah. do. It's not a miracle that skulls ended up fucking everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. The, the weird thing, when you really think about how skulls are used on the bases, um, the skulls are always facing the same direction as the character. Isn't that super weird? <laughs> I tried to break that with my corn. Yeah. Like sometimes they have left a skull behind, but yeah. like not a lot. But, uh, there's, 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 there's nothing kind of, you know, more jarring than a base where the skull is facing backwards. Away from the front, of, isn't that weird? It's, yeah, it is. It's just yeah. a kind of true. It's weird thing. that that's weird. It's, it's weird, weird, but yeah. it is. It is. So, like the skull facing away from the, like uh, towards the back of the model, is somehow wrong. It just looks stupid. I've tried it. <laughs> uh, yeah, skulls are skulls are fantastic, and I I wouldn't get hung up on. Isn't it dumb that there's a human head on every <laughs> on every uh, base <laughs> that you've got in your army? Uh, but that that is that is excellent. Uh, I think um, the thing I'm working. In, through at the moment with regards to bases is creating like naturalistic formations of rocks and tufts and things to make it look mm. as though I haven't just sort of uh, like some of the bases I've done. It looks like I've, it looks like I've just put some PVA glue on it and then just plopped some stuff down. And uh, there's definitely a skill to creating a realistic looking formation of rocks and things. Yeah. I've started like, I tend to think about proportions and kind of like mm. one unexpected element and two kind of proportionally, positioned elements yeah like kind of triads and things the other side of it is for a few models including the lord of manticore dark earth war queen i've started using milliput mm. to build up mounds on bases and embedding texture elements like pieces of rock and stuff into oh, them cool. that's good because it means that things rise from different elevations and mm. that makes it look a lot more natural yeah 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 so just having perfectly flat so if you look good. at the base for the manticore actually you'll see that there are hills on it that help hide the fact that the three pieces of sort of shattered terrain and a metal terrain all are at the same elevation. Yeah. The fact that there are mounds of milliput help make it look more like a buried ruin or something. Yeah. Elevation is definitely a, a brilliant way of making distinguishing models. Um, I've used it to great effect with my Vanguard Hunters, where there's mm. loads of slate, where they're kind of angled, and the van, the poses of the Vanguard Hunters are so, so good, uh, and the, but that you could tilt them slightly, and it looks as though they're adjusting their weight, and they look really, really super dynamic. I've, um, I've 
uh, kind of kitbashed a, so I, got, I bought Neve Black Talon mm. and I've kitbashed a head out of a Retributor helmet because the helmet that comes with Neve Black Talon is not very good. It's really, really small. Um, like a Retributor helmet and a plume, like a really large plume from a different kit from Paladors, I think. Um, and she's going to be leaping off a rock. So I've picked the rock out, glued to the base and she's, it's going to look yeah. really anti-gravity and have loads of dynamism. So using that bit of elevation like that is really I tried to do that with the War Queen. Mm. She's running like by default, she's kind of like striding over a rock, but I got rid of her normal rock and gave her a, a slope to run up okay, made of yeah. really put in slate. Cause I wanted to look like she was running up something in order to jump off it. Mm. Basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's lots you can do. So you can use the base to accentuate the pose. That's always a nice way to do it. Mm. Basing's great. Basing's best. <laughs> that's another satisfying part of the hobby, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's the most fun and has the biggest effect on the model. Yeah. It's really it easy. It. Yeah, 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 that's true. Our next question comes from 14 for 14 miniatures monthly question combo meter breaker Pete, who writes, Hello, Starforged Senior Hammer and Sky Thurston on disc. <laughs> My burning question this week is, is a project ever over? I almost always imagine eventually having a huge collection of any faction I buy into, even if they're originally a small skirmish force. Is this the natural compulsion of the hobbyist, or do I have a full-blown problem? <laughs> Love the pod, Pete slash Fienia from Discord. I used to think models weren't done, but now I think, yeah, there's a point where if you keep on going back with new skills, you're never actually going to fundamentally improve the model, and it's actually mm. better to start a new one yeah. with everything you've learned, and you'll get a better executed thing, and sort of let let those old models lie, if you know what I mean. Like I've never, I tried to go back to my old liberators that I painted when I was first getting back into this years ago, and went over one, and it didn't look any better. Really, you've already slapped all the paint on it. Short of stripping it and doing it again, those, those are finished. Like, they're just done. Yeah, they're, that's fine. And that's fine. Uh, so I'll buy I'll buy some new liberators one day and paint those up. Yeah, I think actually recently I realised that they are like I have a few sort of miscellaneous corn models that I haven't done, but I kind of consider my corn done for now. Yeah, like about a thousand points. Mm. That's fine. Like I'd like to move on to other things. Yeah. Um, I don't <laughs> think that will ever be a six thousand point mega force. Similarly, um. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really health, healthy to feel like actually this is the the point where I won't play with more than this. Yeah, like I don't need more than thirty Zango. I don't. It's not worth the time investment for the novelty of a game where I have two blocks of thirty. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Like realistically, I don't need that. And, and actually, this is sort of um, been on my mind recently because the other thing I've done this month is I've started the process of. I actually had a quite an aggressive cull of my shame pile by selling some stuff off. Yeah. So I sold. Uh, to Pete, actually, who wrote this question, <laughs> the Death Guard half of my Dark Imperium oh, yeah. box, including yeah. the models I'd already painted. Probably never going to paint these. <laughs> yeah, and it's because I had that feeling of like, I'm probably mm. never going to paint these. Yeah. And I realized that there are other 40k forces I'd like to get around to first. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe one day I decide the Death Guard are cool. But actually, realistically, I'm more excited about Space Marines. I'm more excited about Thousand Suns. I'm more excited about other things. Yeah. So why not, you know, get rid of them and, yeah. and reinvest that money? Yeah. And, yeah. And stuff. I've, I've sold some other things like bits, Warhammer kits that I've been sat on that I inherited from my old box of shame from when I was a teenager. Yeah. And because that is not money I necessarily planned to have, I feel guiltless in reinvesting it in Warhammer projects I actually want. Yeah, sure. So rather than, you know, I would honestly think like every couple of months have like a critical look at your shame pile, mm. see what you could potentially divest yourself of and reinvest it in projects you actually want to do. Yeah. Rather than seeing everything as a potential bottomless investment of hours waiting for you to get around to it yeah indeed 
The next question comes from Alistair, who writes, Dear Mothiers Mintley, what I must ask you now is a matter of darkest heresy. Have you ever thought about getting any non-Games Workshop miniatures, either just to build or paint or use as proxies? I'm aware that GW stores used to have policies against having models in your army from other manufacturers, so you may have no choices. You both play there frequently. I live in South Africa, where we have no GW official stores, and I'm currently building a Beastman army using the excellent Foramaic Gabrax from Mias Miniatures. This is mostly due to the current GW offerings being very dated. Mm. While I do like the new Zangor, I've always preferred Undivided Anarchy from my Beastman. Thanks for your continually excellent pod, Alistair. Mears has some ones, uh, some lovely models I'd love to paint up, uh, particularly just kind of undead knights and stuff that look very Dark Souls, actually. Um, they look like kind of suits of armor that are animated. Yeah. Very, very different to anything that GW do. Those are awesome models. Uh, likewise, some of the monsters from... What was the the problematic uh, game? Uh, uh, Malifaux. Malifaux. I think it's Malifaux. It's the one with them. Um, oh, oh no! Kingdom Death is the one you're thinking. Kingdom of. Death. That's the, that's, Kingdom that's, Death is the Dark Souls one with the amazing monsters and the yeah. inexplicably pin up everything else. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's the monsters in that, especially the the night enemies, are amazing models. I think um, I'd love to see GW do some proper knights. You know what I mean? Like yeah. chaos, uh, chaos knights, or just. Uh, that kind of awesome armored warrior. There's some of the closest they've done was one of the heroes for Nurgle that they released, which was just like a, a, a kind of suit of armor with a big shield and a, it's fairly conventional, but it looks, looked really, really cool. And there's no kind of cool knight army that I feel like you can get in Age of Sigma at the moment. Uh, so I'd go to other model ranges for that stuff. Hmm. I think for me, a big part of it is the quality of the miniatures. Mm. Um, I'm, you know, obviously I completely get it if you're in a, in a place where it's not easy to get access to GW stuff. Oh, yeah, sure. But like, it happens to be that there's an alignment between the stuff I'm interested in and the stuff GW is currently making. Mm. And GW models tend to just be of a higher quality. They are, they are very so, good. Yeah. like, that's a big part of it. Um, I don't really want to start working with metal models. Mm. That limits things. I uh, try to avoid resin where I can. So. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like a lot of the better GW alternatives tend to be resin. Yeah. And resin's like something I'm like quite tricky to work with. And also like a big part of my hobby is, is currently involved in like GW store stuff. Yeah. And potential for going for Warhammer World right. and things. You're right. So and you've got so to take that. that yeah. You know, I mean, I, I kind of appreciate that that means that I'm kind of trapped in GW's ecosystem by GW's own rules. It just happens to be a kind of happy form of imprisonment at the moment because mm. the models are so good. That I don't really feel the need to go outside it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I totally get it why you would. I think for me, it's not a concern. Like yeah. none of my current chain power is made up of it. Um, I can't imagine it anytime soon. Yeah. But I totally get it if that's what people. I considered uh, proxying the Warmaster army that I ended up making out yeah. phone board. Um, and there are lots of very good, uh, well, not amazing, but I mean, there are lots of people producing. 10 millimeter scale models um that could easily be proxied in for warmaster stuff mm. yeah that'd be great actually mm. i think yeah for something like that but like so much of my hobby stuff at the moment is is towards kind of like main game army stuff yeah sure, kind of, sure like for main game army stuff no yeah for interesting side projects yes basically on our discord channel um i forget who sorry um but uh someone's been painting up some cool spaceships for is it Drop Zone? I can't remember the name. Oh, it's drop, drop Fleet Commander. Drop Fleet Commander, that's it. And, and I um, think it's Jams who's doing that. Yeah, those, those are really awesome, really um, cool ship designs and lovely paint jobs on those. Uh, and it really gave me the itch to play some Battlefleet Gothic. So I was yeah. on eBay just like, oh, how much would an Imperial Fleet cost? Uh, so that, that's, I, I, maybe I could proxy a Battlefleet Gothic. Yeah, yeah. More foam. More foam, yeah. <laughs> foam board chips. Good. 
Next question comes question comes from John, who writes, Dear Chris Nifex and Tom Agant, looking at the new Deepkin models, I wonder how Zinch feels about the magic user with the octopus model. Magic and tentacles is kind of its thing, but it's <laughs> one of its things. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that a god would get jealous of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one question. Given the amazing model ranges still coming out for both AOS and 40k, if you were starting now with a blank slate, would you still be Stormcast slash Sylvaneth and Zinch slash Chaos? Or would either of you have started with something different? Is this is the rate of good new stuff a pain with limited time and budget? Or do you revel in the excitement it can bring to the game? Finally, will Chris now be swayed from indecision on a 40k force by new knights? Regards, John. <laughs> uh, oh, that is a good one. I, I, there's a, there's a alternative universe where I collected Sylvaneth instead of Stormcast. Mm. I think. Yeah. Because those, that's probably the range that kind of most appeals to me. Just because my roots and roots, uh, <laughs> uh, in, in Wood Elf, uh, and, uh, having Wood Elves as a, as a youngster. That's definitely, I love to see that influence carry over. In terms of new releases, I love all the new releases. Brilliant. Even if I don't paint or collect them, I just love seeing them out there. I love playing against them. I love seeing what DW's designers are coming up with. Yeah, I think we covered earlier that, um, like, why we're not necessarily drawn to new releases. Mm. If I was to start again, I don't know, because I really do love Zinch stuff. Mm. I think weirdly, because I was drawn into Bites of a Tower, like, if I'd gone into it not knowing how much it was hard mode, I might choose something else. I'm very drawn to armies that have battle line troops you can get to a good standard quickly and heroes where you can invest a lot of extra effort to make them look good. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Zinch doesn't strike that balance particularly well. Hmm, I think Ideneth do. Ideneth probably do. Yeah, by the looks of it. Um, I don't know what I would pick, though. I think hypotheticals would be something like Caradron, mm. where the battle line can be done nicely pretty quick. <clears throat> But the vehicles and the heroes offer an opportunity to do really interesting stuff. And they look amazing as well. The, um, go to Warhammer World was the first time I saw the the big ships, like, in person. You don't see them on the tabletop that yeah. often. Really, really um, cool. Other examples of that, I think, include Seraphim, Lizardmen. Mm. Uh, great monsters and heroes. Yeah. But pretty easy battle line. Yeah. Um, but very, like, corn, maybe. Although I think corn's quite tricky. Um, we'll come up with a way of doing it. But, like... Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm happy with where I've ended up. As for 40k, um, <clears throat> so new knights, no, not yet. Although I have actually settled on a core 40k force. I'm just going to keep it a secret. No, well, for a future podcast. Yeah, for a future podcast. Excellent. Um, our next question comes from Mike, who writes, Hi to Om Empire and Chris Battlesuit. Really fucking nailing like the, the name puns. It's very, very week. good. It's very good. I liked being a tomagant. Yeah. I uh, am many. Chris effects. <laughs> I'm exactly. hungry and many. <laughs> with releases like Shades by a Skirmish, Kill Team, and various board games, CW seems to want to occupy every gaming niche within their worlds. But what mm. game is still missing? Is it a roller derby game? Perhaps a dexterity <laughs> game? Ever so slightly gently flicking your beautifully painted munches across the table. Presumably like some uh, Yeah. Uh, hmm. Oh, um, so is this like every genre of tabletop? Yeah, pretty much. I suppose. So there is a pen and paper RPG coming, the Wrath and Glory there system, is. which I'm quite looking forward to. There's an Age of Sigma card game coming as well. I think, arguably Shades Bias got the kind of small model count, super tight competitive thing tied up. Mm-hmm. But they don't have an equivalent of uh, the old board game frustration where you no, click in a little... 
a little dome and then i mean you could you could gw it up you could put some you know little nurglings in there and you yeah. pop them and they flip around i i want um Monopoly. exterminatus kaplunk <laughs> exactly <laughs> where where you start with a normal civilization and every tenet of the imperial creed you remove draws <laughs> you closer to the marble reaching exterminatus oh nice you could do a uh, primok buckaroo uh <laughs> Just lifting, bit, taking bits out of Reboot Gulliman and yeah. notices and, you know. Yeah, um, you. Apothecary, like Belisarius calls Operation. Operation, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Forging, forging a Primaris Space Marine, yeah. uh, trying not to touch the sides. Or else it goes beep. <laughs> Honk. <laughs> um, so no, there are loads of niches, obviously, like every, every, like 1980s, 70s board game, uh, should be remade in GW's universe. It should do. Mm. Um, but yeah, actually, I think in terms, of, like, it's hard to imagine them really missing a. Cause they got a co op game, cause it's Silver Tower. There's, I think, a 40k dungeon crawler. Hmm. Like Silver Tower. Yeah. Would be cool. That could be cool. But it would just be a 40k skin over Silver Tower, so it's not really filling a niche that isn't really filled. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, was Inquisitor kind of that? I Back guess. in the day? Yeah. But I mean, that's not, that's out of print, so, yeah. I can't think of it, I can't think of anything they haven't hit, which is a testament to their determination. Yeah, something like equivalent to the Battlestar Galactica board game, where one of you's a heretic. Oh, yeah. That'd be good. Oh, that's a good idea. That'd be a good Horus Heresy game, wouldn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Next question comes from Theo, who writes, Afternoon fellows, my bid for the hotly contested hypothetical Primark question this month. In a world where the next season of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares will focus exclusively on bars, restaurant owned and operated by the Primarchs, <laughs> for each Primark, what kind of restaurant slash bar do they run? What is the main thing going wrong and why is their business failing? Oh my goodness. High concept. I like for it. For example, he writes, Fulgrim would likely operate a hip New York venue focused on reaching the pinnacle of hawk cuisine. Think a single asparagus on a plate with a dash of gooseberry you. Uh, fruity semicolon but his kitchen while ordered to perfection can only produce one dish every 45 minutes it's time for gordon to offer some shouty home truths or angron as an obese man from the deep south operating a barbecue rib house at the side of a freeway however for some reason he just cannot hold onto his staff onto his staff and gordon has to step in with some appropriate swear words unfortunately angron dies of a massive heart attack halfway through the episode yours miniaturely theo can't go through every primark no uh, but we can't think of some might be some that stand out though I've been obsessed with the program Deep Fried Masters recently. We all have. We all have. Uh, it's spread like wildfire <laughs> through our friend group, uh, which is like a 2013 discontinued series. Yeah. Incredibly low budget. It's on Netflix. People deep fry basically anything. And um, th- th- then three judges who have deep fried many things in their lives, the Primarchs of uh, deep fry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then keen to remind you as well. Over and over again. Uh, uh, you know, if you ever meet someone who says, oh, my reputation precedes me, and they're saying that about themselves, that's the <laughs> definitely the point <laughs> exactly. where they've uh, gone off the edge and need to be retrieved. Uh, so deep fried masters, I feel like there must be Primarchs who would slot into, who, who would take food to the midway. The fabled midway. I think, I think, I think there's a few, like, obvious examples. I think, I think there's a, there's, yeah, you're right. There's a middle ground, not that ambitious field here. That's right. Where you get, like, Lemon Russ mm. versus Robert Gilliman. Yes. Like, you get Russ's kind of Viking grill house where everything's a little bit flavorless. Mm. Like, the theme's a bit obvious and it doesn't really necessarily, you know what I mean? You get, like, a, you're, t- you're told it's like a, 
mead battered bun or something. Right, right, right. But it's not really. It's, uh, rebooted Gunnerman, uh, obviously he would produce classics. Just, uh, but nutritionally exact. So it's going to be the right number of vitamins. Mm. The codex decree. <laughs> compliant. Compliant. Yeah. RDA. Five a day. Uh, fruit and veg, meat and potatoes. Boring, but good for you. Yeah. But not He joy- constantly joyful. has staff that are too ambitious. And he's having That's to. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And he has to, you know, gently fire them. Whereas, um, maybe Ross is too in love with the theme. I can mm. never think outside of the theme. <laughs> <laughs> the theme is wolves. <laughs> uh, who's who's doing the kind of uh, the fat duck equivalent? Who's doing? I mean, the best Cyrus call, I suppose, would be opening a restaurant and just serving you bits of marine. Uh, and, and I think, and the problem with that is you're serving bits of marine, and Gordon right. would shout at him about that. Yeah, I think I think there's some like. I think maybe the lion, like the dark angels are running like a pop up that you have to book months in advance yeah, and you get yeah. there and it's not even on. So it's just <laughs> like the rock cafe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So Fulgrim is a, a good one because for Fulgrim is like the most ostentatious, right? Mm. He's the most kind of showy. He's the guy who would, he's the El Bully, isn't he? Like that's the restaurant he, w- yeah. he would do. It's like, oh, we've served you some salt on uh, a sheet of ice. And that's apparently food now. That would be that would be their thing, just flamboyant uh, until it gets too much flabbergast. But but yeah. always too much, right? Always yeah. too much, uh, and just very emperor's new clothes stuff. You know, mm-hmm. uh, critics inflate it beyond its worth, and Ramsey just comes in and has to give them a, a sense of perspective. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Vulcan would be like a flame grill barbecue place. Oh yeah, yeah. Where but where like it's actually a bit shit. Like the trappings make you feel like you're getting good barbecue, but actually everything's really overdone. It's been flame grilled for too, too long. Too much fire. And anything. really the entire restaurant crests on a kind of positive rapport built with its regular clientele uh, yeah, rather see, than I the see. actual quality Just of the food. Fantastic PR outreach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Someone needs to step in and actually do like fucking Gilliman's Grilliman is doing. <laughs> uh, Ramsey needs to teach them <laughs> what doing better barbecue. Medium rare means. Yeah. Um, his role. Like the Imperial Fists, Rogel Dawn and his Rogan Josh. Rogel Josh. Yeah. <laughs> nice. it's, it's very too spicy. It is a trip inside the pain glove. It is. Oh man. Your tongue is never recovering. Yeah, it's both pain glove and the pain reverse when it comes out the other end. (laughs) And Ramsey's (laughs) comes in, he's like, just put some sour cream on it. Yeah, just offer people a mild option. Uh, Right. And they're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Never. Exactly. Um, This is not the only bright yellow thing in this establishment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't have a Magnus answer for this because kind of like... (laughs) It wouldn't be food, it would just be like a kind of LSD yeah, horror exactly. show, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, you can't feed people a vapour. And then this, this fucking dinner theatre thing you've got going is going on too long. It's taking up too much of the experience. Yeah. You can't do an hour and a half pageant for every dish that's brought out. I'm not sure that um, Ramsey would recognise it as food. He'd be like, his advice would be, you should make some actual food. Um. Yes, good. I think we've... Just about gotten to the bottom of... Yeah, we've gotten to the bottom of that, and I will go to none of those restaurants. <laughs> just don't. Just don't go. Yeah. You don't have um, to. Yes. Uh, and then there's, you know... 
I don't know. Who just runs a beef eater? Which of the Primarchs just fucking... Or just does it like a chain restaurant? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's someone just boring and loyal, I suppose, wouldn't it? Yeah. Which would be... Used to be Gulliman, but not uh, not anymore. He's he's, no. he's fallen out with the Emperor, hasn't he, a little bit? Mm. There aren't many that just do as they're told. I wonder what... Um, I mean, if you if you want some, like, really great French cooking where the meat is almost always just sort of blue... Sanguineous. Sanguineous. <laughs> start to finish. Yeah. And Ramsay goes in and you can't criticise that. No, it's you can't. Really he's, he's just a beautiful angel it's boy. Be- it's a shame he's angel. died. <laughs> make, makes beautiful, <laughs> cooks beautiful blue steaks for you. So our final question is not actually a question, but just a little link and a, a recommendation. Um, so Luke, who is a member of our Discord community, wrote an article a little while ago about um, how... Uh, wargaming and hobby has been beneficial to his mental health. And he ended up doing a interview, I think, with the Fjord Hammer podcast about exactly this subject. Mm, cool. So he wrote in to send us the link to that. And I would, I figured that we would put it in the show notes. So Good it's not thing. so much a, yeah, not so much a question, so much as a, a little plug. So check on the link, com for the show notes of this episode where you'll find a link to Luke's chat about this subject. But it's definitely something that, um, I feel is resonant because I know that uh hobby particularly painting particularly has been a great kind of outlet for me over the last couple of years. Indeed. So I would, uh yeah, I, I would endorse any kind of discussion on that subject. So yeah, thanks for a doing that. Luke and be sending the linking. Thanks for linking. Thanks for linking. Uh, and that is all of the massive miniatures monthly. <laughs> it's been a lot to catch up on. Yeah. But I think we I have, hope, we've, hope we've done an all right job. I think so. Hmm. That we have time for. If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode, you can email us at miniatures at com. You can also tweet us and find some pictures and jokes and dumb stuff on Twitter at miniatures monthly. Mm-hmm. You can also, <coughs> what should we say? Oh, you find on YouTube. That's a part of this podcast, I have to say. Oh, yes. At uh, youtube.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. We find all the Crate and Crowbar stuff, but you also find the YouTube versions of these podcasts. Um, obviously, this podcast is supported by the Crate and Crowbar Patreon. You find out details of that at patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. Uh, the uh, support for our regular PC games podcast helps us do all these other side projects. And so thank you very much to all of our backers. And uh, yeah, you find out more information there. Uh, finally, I guess if you wanted to follow us or our miniatures escapades individually. Tom, how will people find you? I'm best found on Instagram, and my username is Ludo Paints Minis, L-U-D-O. As indeed he does. I do. Um, and my minis Instagram is at Exit Warp, which is E-X-I-T-W-A-R-P. Oh, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch you next month. <laughs>